This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 174, Top 5 Favorite Avengers Storylines. This is the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 174. It's the uh, Top 5 Avengers Storylines episode. I am Adam Chapman, your host. I'm joined in the studio by Paul Scores, And then on Skype, I'm joined by Amber Struck and Nathan Struck. Say hi, guys. In the studio. Hello. Nice. Yeah, well, you're in the studio, and they're, they're far away. <laughs> I, love that, I love that it's a studio. <laughs> well, if I say my scary basement, it sounds a lot weirder. I've ruined the magic. <laughs> uh, the mag- the- okay, you don't have like meat hanging down here in like chainsaws, like, a scary basement. No, I guess that's Not true. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. You thank you. <laughs> Alrighty, so um, today we're going to talk about some of our favorite Avengers storylines. Uh, we're not necessarily going in any particular order because I'm the only one who cares about such things. Um, are there any stories that anyone wants to talk about first that did not make it to their kind of top five list? Uh, Amber, let's start with you. Things that didn't make it to my top five list? Um, yes. I guess Civil War, because it was a very good story, and it was very important to the Avengers universe and the Marvel comic book universe in general, but I didn't enjoy it enough to put it on a top five. Um, I don't know if it's on anyone else's top five, but it was like, it's like this major, like, Avengers event, and it's super pivotal to, like, the change over the Marvel Universe, and, like, making it more realistic, and it's something that was focused on in, like, films and TV shows and stuff, but it was, like, it was a good story, but I think it was more of a vehicle to, to, for change than it was a fun read. I agree to that, yeah. I would agree with that as well. I agree with it, too. And it didn't, it didn't make my list either, so I'm glad you mentioned it. We all agree. Yeah, but... That's awesome. Is that on your list, Paul? No. Alright. Any other uh, honorable mentions you wanted to throw out there, Amber? Um, I think AVX as well. Maybe it's just because it's, like, really current right now, so I'm thinking about it. Well, it's not really current. It's, like, two years old. I was gonna <laughs> say, that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. My timelines are all skewed because I read and trade, but it was, like, another one of those things that was, like, a big Avengers storyline, and it was... It was kind of exciting, but like, eh. it was it was enjoyable to read, but it also wasn't something that I'm like, oh my gosh! I think I was more excited about the X Men elements and the Avengers X- elements. So, I don't know. That was that was another consideration for my list. And then I had like Dark Avengers storylines, like Molecule Man, but they're more Thunderbolts villain stories and Avengers stories. So I cut them off the list for that reason. But I really want to talk about Molecule Man, and it's amazing. I'm, throw that out there. I'm glad you love Molecule Man. He doesn't get enough love. Well, I don't love him personally so much as I love his storyline. Okay. But his powers are like some of the coolest powers in the Marvel Universe. He's like what? All of them? <laughs> yeah. He's got like all the powers. Like that. If I if someone's like you want a superpower, I'm like I want to be Molecule Man because like oh he can fly around and make everything everything he wants it to be. And that's why I think he's like a great like fighting pairing for Sentry, because, like, really, what are the other Avengers going to do against Molecule Man? 
Like, Sentry has this whole sheer force of will, like, almost psychic over physical drive, so Molecule Man has to overcome that to fight him, and, and Sentry has to, like, it's just cool. Well, didn't they reveal that Sentry has the same powers, essentially? His power Basically, of molecules? yeah. Yeah. But, so it was just, like, a one-upsmanship of molecules. But, like, I don't know, because I see Sentry as, like, this light character, mm. and he's got, like, these sort of light powers. It's kind of, it's like that story that I like to talk about with Wolverine, where he gets, like, completely destroyed, and then he sees Gene, and he reassembles himself. Like, as though, yeah, as though his healing factor is Is it Gene, more, or is it Rose? Uh, we don't know. He sees a well, If it's Weapon X, it's gotta be Rose. He sees a redhead, right? So he's more of, like, it's almost like his healing factor is more of a psychic ability, that he can reassemble himself from his psychic energy than a physical ability. And I see Sentry more like that, and Molecule Man more physical, but that that's just, like, hmm. wild postulation that may not mean anything. Interesting, though. I like that. Uh, Nate, what would be on your uh, not-quite-making-it the list? I have five things on my not-quite-make-it list, so... So you made a list of ten. <laughs> I didn't... I, I, cut, I cut it down. This is a cut-down list. Okay, so I'll just go through them quickly and not talk about them too extensively. Um, but first one is New Avengers Volume 1 by uh, Jonathan Hickman. Okay. Um, and Steve Epting. Uh, it's a Illuminati, and I absolutely adore the Illuminati, and it's quite interesting now that they the Illuminati has become the New Avengers... I think that's kind of neat. Um, Siege, which I really loved as well, um, by Brian Michael Bendis and uh, Olivia Cotbell. Um, it's just a, it was a good fun romp. It was a good ending to the, the Thor Asgardian storyline as well as the Dark uh, Reign storyline. Uh, Avengers Forever is actually on my noteworthy list, but not on my top five. Um, Avengers Forever because of its legacy, and I love the concepts like the the um, the Destiny War, uh, but I don't find it as very readable these days. Um, and then Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes by uh, Joe Casey and Scott Collins. A great origin story of the team. I really enjoy the art, especially by Scott. Well, he's the one who's the artist. Um, <laughs> I enjoy Scott's art, especially on Hulk, I guess. And then my last one is um, Avengers uh, number 53 from, I think that's, like, what is that, 60, 1968 or whatever. That's the first fight between the Avengers and the X-Men. Mm. Um, and I really enjoy that one with Black Panther and, and I, I really enjoyed reading that when I was reading through my essentials so that was on that list of five interesting okay uh, and Paul what didn't make it to your top five um, you're, you're a newer Avengers fan yeah yeah so I, I, I'm like Bendis universe pretty much <clears throat> but uh, we were talking before we started the podcast and um, I guess a few of the things like I had Dark Avengers on there, similar to what Amber was saying, so... Oh, are we allowed to do that? Okay. Um, we had some debate about that. I mean, he's not putting it on his top five list, so I I, I kind of allowed it as an honorable mention. Yeah, I I, th- I think of it as a Thunderbolts book. It, it is, you're right. Put it on. Honorable mention, done. Thank it you. says Avengers in the title. Yeah, but that doesn't <laughs> always mean it's an actual Avengers story, right? But... Sentry and Ares are Avengers. Sure, and then they're, they're surrounded by a bunch and of villains. And they took on, like, the names of Avengers. <laughs> yes, I know. It was a copycat. <laughs> That's like, it's a copycat book. Anyway, sorry about that, Paul. Sorry. That's okay. It happens all the time. Um, then there was the initiative that we had talked about, which was uh, very well done by uh, Slot and um, Orion, the artist. Um, the, beginning well stuff. the first one was um, Stefano Caselli. Thank you, yeah. yeah. So... It, it kind of it was really good when it started because it gave you hope that they had this big plan for the Avengers to expand them and have 
these new teams, these new characters, and now they don't exist anymore because they like to flush stuff like that down the toilet. Um, but uh, at the time, I was really stoked to, to see this new kind of branch off of these characters, but it did suit them well to lead the Secret Invasion, I suppose. Um, uh, what, what, Paul, what was, her, what was her name? Mutant Zero? Was that the character's name? Mutant Zero? Yeah, so we became Typhoid Mary. Yeah. Yeah, how were you happy? Were you happy with that reveal, or were you angry? I was disappointed. I was hoping for somebody else. I don't know who, yeah, but no one, not her. <laughs> nobody cares about Typhoid Mary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I found it interesting okay. to go back and see that the clues were there that it was Typhoid Mary all along. Yeah, but no one would have guessed it, because nobody thinks about her, especially not as a mutant. No, definitely not. They don't think about her at all. Everyone... Everyone saw red hair and said it was Jean Grey. Right, yeah, which of course he was counting on. Absolutely. Uh, Paul, yeah. continue. No, that was kind of it. That was the only two I could really think of that didn't make my overall list. Okay. Uh, my honorable mentions list, very quickly, uh, Vision Quest. Uh, that was in West, Co- <laughs> West Coast Avengers or Avengers West Coast. I forget what it was being called at the time. It was by John Byrne where they disassemble uh, the Vision and then make him the new... It sounds racist to say the white Vision, but... <laughs> He's completely white instead of being green and ye- uh, green and gold, I guess, or green and yellow. Um, He's a laser robot. <laughs> his, his features are no more white than they were before, though. Like he's already been made to look like a Caucasian man, so yeah. changing the actual armor color doesn't matter. I suppose. I was um, a white sweater in that issue you just showed me, so that was kind of the genesis of that. Just... Yeah, I was showing uh, Paul some uh, original Kree Scroll War Avengers, and there's this awesome shot of. Uh, of the vision wearing like you know a turtleneck, just hanging out at the mansion, very awkward. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, also, my kind of um, special mentions: uh, New Avengers, the first volume, uh, the breakout itself, uh, the Kang Dynasty by Kurt Busiek, which kind of wrapped up his entire run, uh, and uh, Roger Stern's Absolute Vision storyline, where the Vision takes over the world's computers, which. To be honest, sounds a lot more quaint when it was in the '80s, but nowadays would actually be a lot scarier because uh, now computers run everything. Yeah, um, because in the '80s you could run a word processor barely. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's typing at me. Absolutely. <laughs> um, as well as Kree uh, Skull War didn't make it on my list, so it's an honorable mention. As well as Operation Galactic Storm and Red Zone. So, so Red Zone and Red Zone are both on my list. Pardon me. I don't feel so bad for listing five stories now. <laughs> so what, what did you say, Amber? I said Red Zone and Breakout are both on my list. Okay, well, Just when we get there, we'll talk. To, my list. We'll talk about them. <laughs> um, well, so let's let's uh, quickly just talk. Why should you do mentions first? I, I always do honorable mentions first. I want to get them out of the way. It feels weird to do. Well, theoretically, if everyone ranked them, to go five, four, three, two, one, and then say, "Oh yeah, this is all the stuff that didn't make the list." It seems weird. Why? Anyway, so let's let's I guess do the first uh, first from our list. Paul, pick something. I can start with me. Just do that. I'm pl- I'm picking on you. All right. Well, since, since we Amber the cat of the bag for breakout, I'll I'll start with breakout then. Breakout. So, okay. Because for me, okay. Uh, my, my, my okay. Let me go back a little bit. My first four way foray into the Avengers to give them a shot back, I guess, in the '90s was when they did a relaunch and um, started with number one, reassembled the team, and it was all triathlon and stuff like that. So I'm reading this. Yeah. Right, I'm reading this and I go, I'm not feeling it. It just doesn't work for me, so I stopped. Then I never actually read Disassembled, but then you know, 
all this big hustle and bustle came down with this new Avengers thing happening and Spider-Man will bring on to be on the team and they're going to do a whole big shake-up and la-di-da. So I hopped onto Bendis's, you know, the beginning of it all and I was kind of blown away by it. Um, just how everything was put together. The art was gorgeous on it. Um, and it was a really great start to a whole new chapter um, in the Avengers universe at the time. Yeah, I think it was like they made the team cool again, basically, because I don't, I don't like they put on cooler characters, basically, like more screwed up, like Spider Man, who's like the everyman, and we can all identify with him, and like Luke Cage is from the streets, and Jessica is all screwed up because she's weirdly aged and then not really an adult, but sort of an adult, and so they the changeover of this team into this very very fresh team that's just sort of like anchored by Iron Man and Cap as the originals, but they're bringing this whole other team together, and the way they brought them together, too, is, like, one of my favorite things about Breakout. You mean when they tore Carnage in half? Well, yeah, tearing Carnage, and like, introducing the Sentry awesome. and that he was on the raft, and he's been this part of the Marvel Universe. And Venice like, is like, screw you, 90s. Here's yeah. what I think about the 1990s. Yeah, which <laughs> I like Venom and Carnage, so whatever, Bendis. But just, like, that they retcon Sentry into the whole series. And this is, like, some really good Bendis writing, too. I think Bendis has been overworked by Marvel, and he's not as strong as he once was. But, like, I remember reading this, and, like, you know, it was just it was just funny. It's like Spider-Man's, like, talking about his footies and stuff, because he's got... My booty. I tore yeah. my booty. <laughs> I tore my... You tore your what? Yeah. Tore my, my little booty. footy thing in my costume. Why? What do you call them? <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. then there's, there's that great line where he they go to the Savage Land, and he's like, you know, the Savage Land, dinosaurs, and a surprising amount of acceptable nudity, yeah. and everybody crashes. What are you talking about? Nobody lands in the Savage Land. You always crash. And then they land, like, see, that wasn't a big thing, and then it explodes because <laughs> they get shot at. Yeah. 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 Very clever stuff. Yeah, the writing is just very sharp, and the art is, of course, really nice in this one. Well, as good as Finch can be. I like Finch. I don't know why you got this hate he on Finch. He has low foreheads. He draws the same face on everyone, and he's not the best storyteller. He has a style. Yes, he does. And he over-renders everything. Yeah, he, he over-renders. <coughs> You're cracking you this up should, over here. Is there a gas leak? You guys have a cough. You guys should get a, a cough. <laughs> no, it's, it's very good points. No, it was, uh, you're right, Amber, he wrote it really well to start because it eventually evolved into dinner around the table every issue, which was very disappointing. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but, that's what I'm talking, he's just become talking heads. Yeah, so, but yeah, it was, it was very strong, I guess like the new X-Men right now and the Uncanny X-Men stuff that he's doing, you know, had a great start, but now it's kind of spinning its wheels, so hopefully there'll be uh, a way out of that. Going back to, yeah. uh... To this first uh, arc of uh, New Avengers, um, I do like uh, one of my favorite moments was with uh, with Luke Cage and Spider Man when they they confront yes. uh, Electro. And it's like yeah. you know how do you how do you hit him? And it's like oh I usually web up my hands. So he's like web me up, and then Electro passes out. And then yeah, that was great. And Luke Cage is like, well, can you get this off my hands? Like nope. <laughs> like, in an hour. Yeah. In like, an hour you can get it. Eventually. Yeah. No, that was that that was a great moment because. It was just it was badass for Luke Cage. A little depressing for uh, for Electro to pass out like that, but just a, a great humorous moment afterwards. Yeah, the open the bubble. Yeah. Well, he spent all that time writing Ultimate Spider-Man before this, right? This is his first kind of big break in the six one six. So he had to make sure he came out. Well, he had already written. Blazing, right? He had already written Daredevil. I mean, that was his. Yeah, but this is carrying like here's the major franchise to move the Marvel yeah. movies forward, right? Well, yeah, but at the time, like Avengers wasn't that huge a franchise. Like it, it was. 
it wasn't the X-Men. It didn't have 1,800 titles. It had one. It had Avengers. That was it. No, I know, but Avengers is still not Daredevil. Daredevil is like a nothing B-list, <laughs> B-tier character, and Avengers is, has a legacy, right? But this was like the book that brought Avengers back, though, too. No, I know, but uh, where Adam is, Adam is just trying to, like, historical context. Yeah. At the time, it's nothing like what it is now. Now you can talk to a little kid on the street, and who's your favorite hero? And they'll go, Iron Man! And they'll pose with propulsor blasts coming out of their that's hands, so you know? Hey, that's but, Ben right now. Be nice. But, but in the, back in the day, it was nothing like that. No, it's true. cute, not that it's bad. No, <laughs> yeah, it is cute. But it's funny, because th- this book was, in fact, the real breakout for the Avengers. Mm. Yes. Touching on that pun, um, does anyone feel that this that breakout storyline of the of the villains being released was actually ever really dealt with appropriately? Like, they had that Spider-Man breakout miniseries, which was... I think I have it, actually. It was, um, it but I never good. really felt like they... They did a good job cohesively addressing that issue. Not at all. No, that's typical. He had other things that he wanted to do, and then by the time they could have come back to it, it was all about who do you trust. That's true. As Paul pointed out, he had to spend a lot of time talking around dinner tables about <laughs> the scrolls. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I was looking. I was online today, and I saw like this old X Men panel, and it's like Kitty Pride in a dance studio, and she can't get the dance step right. Because she's too angry at Colossus or something because they're in a fight, and I'm like, this is this is what it, it shouldn't just be like hanging out at dinner or like drinking a glass of wine. I'm like, I want to see the Avengers doing their dance lessons, and they just can't get like. <laughs> well, I mean, step, that's right? a very X Men thing to do, right? Uh, the X Men are always going shopping. Like I was first introduced to X Men as a little kid watching the cartoon, yeah. and the first episode was they're shopping. Storm and Rogue, are yeah, yeah. And Gambit's up. buying cars and shouting up a lady and stuff like that. <laughs> like that was the first time, and that, those are Bendis moments. And it's interesting how his comics have become Bendis moments, and the X-Men movie franchise has never done it. They never sit around and have a meal. Gene never makes a turkey. They never go shopping together. All those very, all those very quintessential moments. They never play baseball. The there's no baseball. There should be baseball. There's no baseball, no, yeah. There's no yeah. basketball. No. They have basketball, yeah. There's no true. beach day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> beach day. Swimster edition, yeah. All right. Um, let's move. Let's move on. If 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 we're good, let's move on from uh, from breakout. Uh, Nate, why don't you mention one of yours? Oh, forgive that, um, Okay, I will go chronologically then. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go with Avengers 402. Interesting. Okay. So this is when I I I, I guess I started picking up Avengers with Onslaught, and so. Uh, Avengers 400 was probably my first regular issue and then I went backwards all the way to like Operation AIM or something and then I went I just continued following it along and this is Mike Diodato and I don't even know who's on who's penning this um, and this is a story about them being on the street level handling the, the chaos of the Onslaught disaster and so you don't see much to do with actual I don't, Onslaught doesn't even appear in the issue but they there you know there's a, a subway that's been stalled and the Avengers run down into the subway tunnels, and Captain America is leading them with his powerful running stride, you know, by Diodato. He only draws people two ways, right? Posing sexily or running. And, That's how superheroes do. Well, Diodato especially. And uh, this is very rough Diodato, right? This is like in the days of Diodato's studios, where he would just pe- do rough pencil outlines for his pages. Mm. And he just studio people who would finish his pencils for him. Um so yeah. a Scarlet Witch of course is there too and one of my favorite costumes for her with the half cowl and the long thigh boots by Diodato as well when he designed that uh, Thor with his uh, redesign as well by Diodato with the straps everywhere and the cowl 
and then the mutated wasp. And so they they go into the subway tunnels, and they and Thor uses his, energy, his um, electricity and saves the people, brings them out. They're just doing damage control. They run up to the surface level, and it's chaos, and there's explosions. It's very 9-11-esque. Buildings are being hit by explosions, and Cap essentially shows why he's the man that he is. The people actually riot and start pulling the Avengers apart. They grab um, Black Widow at one point. Uh, I believe it's Black Widow, and then they say, "Help us, help us, help us!" And they start tearing her to pieces. And Cap tells them, "You know, to get everyone to calm down." And he's just, it's a very strong Cap issue of him using his commanding ability and um, his brain as a commander. Eventually, Holocaust and Post come. Two names of people who, I guess, Nemesis and Post come. Or what's he now? What's he, genocide now? Yeah, it's uh, genocide. genocide. Yeah. Um, they appear uh, post a character who's disappeared into uh, the, the ether, but uh, they overpower the team and Cap out- outsmarts them. And so it's just, it was a really strong introduction to me um, of Cap's ability to, like, why he's on the team. You know, they're always trying to justify why Batman's on the ju- on the Justice League. It's, it's a constant thing, and Grant Morrison did a very good job of that. But this, very early on in my career with the Avengers, justified to me why Cap was on the team and why he was leading it. Uh, and I really I never forgot that. So, um, one of the last... Actually, that's the last issue before they die. Um, and the universe gets rebooted in Heroes, uh, Heroes Are Born. So, um, yeah, that was the end of the Avengers, the original Avengers. And I thought it was a good story. No, absolutely, it is a good story. I, it is interesting that, that they get kind of a weird send-off, because like, they don't actually end the book properly. Like You have to read another book, something else entirely, yes, in order yes. to see how Stay they end. Here. Yeah, that's true. Is that issue in the Onslaught complete editions it is i'm actually referring to it from my collection yeah it's in uh volume three okay uh my number five because i do number these things um i think nate already mentioned it as one of his honorable mentions it's uh the first earth's mightiest heroes uh storyline that uh joe casey wrote uh with scott collins on art and it's just basically an expanded version of the origin of the avengers um, just told in more of a modern context, but uh, Colin's... It's much better than the original. <laughs> yeah, and Colin's artwork really embraces, uh, I, I think, the Silver Age kind of hokiness of the art at, at times. Um, it definitely feels like we're like we're seeing a, a modern rendition of something that was in the 60s. Um, it's just a really fun romp. It's, it's exciting. Uh, Colin's artwork is just brimming with energy. Um... And, you know, I don't typically like Collins that much, but this is probably the best Collins I've ever read um, in terms of his art. And uh, this is probably the least bothered I've ever been by his Hawkeye, because usually I'm really frustrated by the way he illustrates Hawkeye. Huh. Okay. But yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. It's a great retelling. Uh, The original Masters of Evil make some great appearances. Um... It's it's definitely told with again more of a modern sensibility about the politics of what was going on with the creation of the Avengers and it's extremely well done. Uh, probably the most modern comic on my list in terms of publication um, time, um, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, Paul, next one. Why well, kind of stole uh, Amber Sunders? Let her go next. Well, you and Amber will we share one this time. Well, ladies first. You can have. You can have next one. All right, Amber, would you like to go first next? Okay. Um, I have, I think, I uh, I guess I'll do Red Zone, since I spoiled that it was on my list. Um, I really like this story because I like all stories that are, like, spreading killer disease disaster stories. I think they're, like, 
the scariest kind of story, and I like the accurate depiction of the flageller gram-negative rods in the bloodstream. I was pretty pleased by that. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's happening, so okay. Yeah, science. But I think... Um, <laughs> this is the John stuff, right? Jeff Johns, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Jeff Johns, sorry, I should say. Jeff Johns and... Who do the pencils? It's oh, Quipel. Oh, it is Koipel. It's Koipel. Yeah. Koipel. That's, That's so all good. I like it. Looks just like this other <laughs> so thing. So much looking. better looking than Mitch. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I also, I also like it as far as the Avengers in a political moving sort, maneuvering sort of stance, and like the fact that they don't really have a physical enemy they can fight, but they, they're like all going through in hazmat suits and like just extracting people and trying to get to the source of this big spreading cloud of death. And I like the way like it reacts with She-Hulk, and um, I really like it's Jack of Hearts. Yeah. I love Jack of Hearts. And I only read like two volumes with him in it and like he was there and then he was dead in Avengers Disassembled, but I'm like, what a great character. Like he's all edgy and sexy and like tortured and but his his face is stupid looking, but I like him a lot. <laughs> it was <laughs> so, the only time he was face is stupid it's, No, it's just his like half black heart face and I'm like, fine. But do it do what you will, Jack of Hearts. <laughs> but I think this was, like, it was really neat, and it was a very tense episode, because it's like, are they going to die, and is it going to spread, and what are they going to do? And so it's, like, Avengers with political maneuvering and disaster control, and, again, it's like sort of this idea of what would they do as, as a global protection force, rather than just, like, to fight supervillains. So they actually come in and, and deal with disasters, and it shows that, yes, they do. They're, like, you know, it, it, it's, like, it's like when they had... Um, like Monica Rambeau go down after Hurricane Katrina and they had like comic books dealing with what the heroes were doing in the Hurricane Katrina aftermath. It's kind of like that, but you know, a fake supernatural event. Interesting. I really enjoy the art on this. I, I'm a Koipel whore, so I will love anything he draws. You are a Koipel whore. Yeah. I, I, I like it's, I like his critique as well of like the uh, American uh, political system and, and of people coming in with agendas and, and, Almost, almost barreling or, or manipulating the system to the, to the point where they can use fear mongering to get people to sign off on bills they shouldn't, and so they have the skull kind of doing that to well, yeah, work from like, within. And this isn't the first time Skull's done that, but like uh, genetic warfare. So that's like all the skull does now. Like he never does anything overt anymore. Right, and, and it's always somebody pulls off their face. It's a dirty politician, and it's Red Skull. Well, no, <laughs> but, um, what, what year was this again? This is ninety-eight. Um, no, this is like two thousand one or two. Yeah, this is around the anthrax scare. Hmm. Yeah, so this is a first printing of this trade was 2003, so that means the stories were slightly earlier. Yeah, so this is in or around the anthrax scare that followed uh, 9-11, so I mean, it's very topical. Well, yeah, because it's the whole idea of germ warfare became very topical very quickly. Well, also of crowd manipulation, right? Crowd manipulation, but I, I don't know, for me what brings with this one is the germ warfare, and it's... Like, what do you do against a tiny microbe? I know, it's what I'm most afraid of. This is why I work in microbiology, because I'm like, then I will die first. Because we'll get a sample, and it will kill me, and I won't have to deal with the fallout. Um, so it's a good way to go. But yeah, it's, it's a good story. Okay. Paul? What you got? Okay, so I'm going to keep I'll go with Nate's theme and go chronologically. Um, I really enjoyed the lead-up to Secret Invasion. I know we kind of agree that it didn't go where we wanted it to go, but I think when they started teasing it and you had the, the dead electric body transformed into a scrawl and they were starting to tease all these various things where it could have gone, how big it could have been, 
um, it really piqued some interest. And, like, the whole Who Do You Trust thing, and if I'm not mistaken, the Illuminati grow out of around this time too don't they yeah that's where we kind of mm-hmm. we got another illuminati we, we were getting an illuminati miniseries in this time period and then the fifth issue of it was them being kind of screwed over by a scroll and finding out there was a scroll in their midst all like for a while now right so it was black bolt spoilers <laughs> god damn it you're not supposed to spoil these things spoilers 2007 2007 spoilers <laughs> But uh, in any case, yeah, I, like they ended up doing a better job of it in the cartoon series than the overall comic book world. But um, I thought it was really, really got my heart pumping. I really wanted to get the next issue uh, when that was going down. Hmm. It was exciting. I, I hate Secret Invasion. You hate Secret Invasion? Yeah, we, we stopped collecting um, comics uh, monthly because of that. Yeah, that was when we Not stopped. Because no, of no that. because of it. There are other no. reasons. Mostly, just, mostly monetary. But. Like, I hate... I hate mistaken identity stories. I can't stand it. And I can't stand, like, oh, how, like, like especially with comic book continuity, trying to think at which point it was really that person and when was it a scroll and who actually had those experiences. And are Mockingbird Bird and Hawkeye still married? Because how long was she on the ship? Was it a scroll that divorced him or was it a scroll that married? And just, like, like that, that lead up. I, I wasn't interested in anymore at Secret Invasion, so I'm like... It wasn't I, a good story. Yeah. It wasn't told very well. It wasn't paced very well. It was focused on Iron Man and the Savage Land. But I find it interesting that you can be excited for the lead-up and not like the story, because the story would have tainted the lead-up for well, me. Well, Adam and I know the best part of the fallout of Secret Invasion, Elektra. That was the best thing that happened. Elektra had a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Am I right? No, absolutely. Um, Amber, can I speak to your questions about Mockingbird? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Slight pause. All right. And he wants to tell you about. It. I do want to tell you. Uh, all right. So Mockingbird. Yes, they when they when she came back, they were still technically married. So the one that divorced them, the one again, it's a little unclear if she was the one that's in, that's the one that's in hell. Yeah, it was not her in hell. This um, girl in hell. Yes, but, but still, apparently, whenever they saw her, looked like Bobby still. The scroll never dropped the, the skies, even when in hell. hell. Yes. I'm like, I gotta that, keep this up. That is dedication. Well, well they're really committed. Amber, Amber, he loves you. What? Um, <laughs> anyways, they, are, they were still married, but then no one wanted to deal with it, so I think they kind of let them drift apart once they brought... I don't understand why they even bother bringing Mockingbird back, because... They instantly... Yeah, it's not like anybody was thinking, what happened to Mockingbird? <laughs> Adam was. <laughs> I'm probably the only one. Everyone else is like, who is Mockingbird? Who is this person? That was me, yeah. Yeah, that's she Paul. Was so intriguing. Yeah. She only had one pant leg. What a bold choice. <laughs> you know, Jim Lee did an awesome Mockingbird story back in the day. Okay. That's right. <laughs> the best thing about Mockingbird is her hero click. Let's all move on. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Nate, what's your, uh, your fourth... Or number four. Disassembles. Yeah, disassembles. Yeah, so um, this brought, I guess, 2004, right? End of 2004? End of 2004, yeah. And um, this is kind of, uh, I don't know, this is a very interesting story to me in terms of, I mean, the, the Avengers have been disassembled, uh, read long enough, they've been disassembled, well, I mean, issued like two, right? <laughs> they, they disassemble all the time, and they constantly reform, so this is just part of the course. It was an event, but it really was just like part of the cycle. Yeah, they're always breaking up. They're like, we can't do this anymore. This isn't right. My, my, we, and then they do it again. My number five, my last one, was about the team dying. 
and then the need for a new team to be drawn together, and then it, I mean it's constantly being assembled at this assembled. So maybe perhaps a slight misnomer, but um, this was really the doorway, the, the the entry point, the gate to the new Avengers series, to the new franchise opening up. And there are a lot of really interesting things here that started with this series. Um, I, I can't recall, Adam, if this ever happened prior to this, but the sequence where Iron Man appears with blackness all around him, basically naked in his suit, but from his perspective, he's like standing in a room with screens in front of him. Isn't this the first time? This is the first time I can, I can recall seeing that image. I believe it's the first time, and obviously it's become quite iconic. Yeah, it's in the movies, it's everywhere. It's a standard thing, a standard practice for Iron Man now. Um, Why does he have to be naked, though? Well, he's not entirely naked. But he's got look, look, on. this he's solves the problem that Seinfeld and George Costanza were arguing about, um, whether or not Iron Man is naked in his suit. I believe this is season eight or nine of Seinfeld. And they have this whole argument that he's like, George is like, I tell you, he's naked in there. And Jerry's like, that doesn't make any sense. He's got to have some kind of underwear on. This solves that argument. Well, it's a Tony perspective, right? Because he's not really in a dark room either. So Tony just pictures himself in his underwear all the time. Well, unless there's someone in that room with him looking over his shoulder, which, of course, as we all know, is... It's like is, some lady shows up in a bikini. It's Electra Scroll. It's got to be. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, some people really have a problem with them killing off characters and disassembling the team. I don't... I don't, I don't care because death doesn't mean anything in the comics but what I find more interesting is the, you know, the way they uh, integrate politics into it and the way they uh, integrate continuity into it with the Dark and the Scarlet storyline which uh, I find very uh, contextually important and uh, makes a lot of sense because Wanda is crazy and this of course leads into House of M and No More Mutants and the huge, huge ramifications for the Marvel Universe whenever they have a big event and they say they always do this will have large ramifications for the Marvel Universe. It's usually hyperbole. This is entirely true when they said it about yeah, this. Yeah, Wanda is one of the biggest moving factors in the whole Marvel Universe. Yes, and she's, as Adam puts it, a curmudgeon in many ways, but uh, there, this, is a, this is a family storyline, and you can see you get a sense for that as Hawkeye is one of the ones to come to her and plead with her um, as being someone who's, who's previously been very close to her. Um, you've also got in the end Magneto comes and says give me my daughter and then tells tells her the, the fainted or the unconscious Wanda I'm sorry I failed you which is leading into House of M which is all about his guilt as a father um, which you rarely ever see um, and I'll just point out one of the, my favorite parts of this storyline before I, I stop and that's in which issue is this let me get the issue number first before I, I talk about the scene um, although in trade you can't always tell when it, okay it's issue 501 um, uh, before I sh- uh, talk about the scene, do you guys remember collecting at this time, this era? Remember how crazy it was with certain things like Thor disassembled, finding issues of that book? Yeah, it was yeah. kind of crazy because all that stuff was criminally underprinted. And yes. no one knew if this would matter or not or if this was just kind of the next thing. And it was it, it was definitely a weird... Like, Thor was really hard to find. Yes. Uh, Captain America sold quickly. Iron Man wasn't as hard. No, but uh, Iron Man wasn't as hard. Um, but... <laughs> But Iron, I, I, but Thor, they, the issues for that were selling like at thirty dollars, twenty dollars at the time. People were just because it was blowing up. Because everyone was like, "This guy Oming is totally kicking the crap out of this book." Thor is amazing right now, and it was like a, a blurb and, and and Wizard and Wizard acknowledged its value how it's spiking because there, as Adam pointed, it was underprinted. Um, poor Oming too, right? He comes in to end this book, and he's all excited to write Thor because he's a mythology major or a mythology student. And uh, they print basically nothing because Thor was a dead book at the time anyway. Yeah, but then everybody loved it. But I know, but no one could buy it, right? Because it <laughs> so was he didn't so... didn't get any money because the secondary well, market but, made all the money. But this was the time of the Casada era where they were reprinting everything in trade. And so we eventually got to buy it in trade. I was I had the singles of it, but um, it was very few people did. 
Um, okay, so in issue 501, there's a sequence after the attack um, where Cap, Iron Man, Hawkeye, uh, and the Falcon are talking in a circle. And again, I have issues with, with uh, the composition, on, uh, of Finch's composition, but this is a really cool shot of them all standing in a circle, and I know Talking Heads is Bendis' thing, but this is one of the first times I really, really I, I saw him for the, the talent that he was in terms of dialogue, and the camera is rotating around these characters, and everyone is sharing their ideas and uh, about what to be done about this, and they're all blaming Tony and saying, you know, um, you were drunk that day, were you really drinking, what's going on, you threatened everyone in the United Nations, um, and so the entire time the camera is panning around, Cap's is saying nothing, Cap is just listening to everyone talking, and then eventually, everyone, you know, after this thing is breaking out, everyone looks at Cap and they say, what do you think, is Tony telling the truth? And Cap says, I believe you. And then Falcon says, man says what the man says. I believe you. And then Hawkeye says, well... And then Hawkeye busts Iron Man's chops, and he's the guy who dissents and says, look, this is how I see it. I don't agree. So in, in some ways, you get a sense of what the, the Avengers are about. You see this story of dis- disassemblage, which, again, is very historically accurate to the team. But then you get to see that even as far as Hawkeye has come in terms of being his own leader and being his own man and half idolizing Cap and half busting his chops, Hawkeye is not the 60s Hawkeye here, but he's still his own man. Like, that's one of the things I like about Hawkeye. Hawkeye will always go in his own direction, which, of course, is proved by the existence of West Coast Avengers. Um, And in between, and it's great because Hawkeye is, the composition is great. Hawkeye is standing in between Falcon and Cap, and Falcon always has Cap's back. That's one of the things of Falcon, that's one of the things about Falcon that is is cool about him. Um, Cap steps up and says, I believe Tony, and right away Falcon says, okay, man says what he says, I believe you too, Tony. Doesn't even think about it. But then Hawkeye says, wait a minute, something's up. And I just thought that it was a great sequence. It was well told. I love that Cap is not saying anything. He's just listening to all that's going on. And then they all turn to him to see what he has to say. And, and it just dominoes, all kind of corresponding to... to it showed complexity. It showed everyone had their own opinions or people had their own way of dealing with the situation. And I thought, that's a really unique take on things. And I, and I, I brought this up, actually, in a roundtable or a, a, a Comic-Con event uh, when Bendis was there. And he's like, you know what? Thank you for acknowledging that. I was really trying to make sure that scene worked, and I'm glad to hear that you liked it. So I, I noticed that as something that was important to me, and I, I really became a huge Avengers fan as a result of it, and apparently I got some uh, some authorial intent there, <laughs> which you <laughs> really get. I to, I to, well, don't smile at me, Amber. I'm not name-dropping that I talked to Bendis. You're name-dropping a little bit. Like I no, was, you, know, you know what? I, Bendis was trying to could, do this, and I, as the purest Bendis No, fan. no, no. It could, it could be that I was name-dropping if it was just for the sake of it, but honestly, I thought that was meaningful that I noticed that as a particularly important part of the story, and I thought it, it was meaningful to me. It had an impact on me, and he and he knew exactly what I was talking about, and he felt that that had significance, too. So I wasn't, like, drawing out of nothing. I wasn't taking it out of thin air. That's why I mentioned it. I'll stop talking. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate the name drop. All right, let's move on. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm next. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, for my number four, I picked issues one to four of Avengers Volume 3. Um, so Paul mentioned that his kind of first flirtation with Avengers was when Kurt Busiek and George Perez started their run on the Avengers. And for me, like the first four issues are extremely strong. They're, I mean, the first three issues are really like the main story, which is the Morgan conquest where, uh, Morgan Morgan Le Fay takes over. Um, but really issue four is kind of important to kind of set up. I want to point something out. Amber just said sexy off to the side. 
No. This is the George Perez Morgan the Fay. She is not sexy. The no. Mike Diodato version is sexy, but Mark, this she's hideous. Like, I don't think that George man. Perez draws a for a good female, um, and this this Morgan the Fay is atrocious. Isn't uh, she supposed to be in mythology, kind of captivating, or no? Um, she can be. She's like she's like Merlin's wife, so she's um she's like this sexual mystical witch figure basically. But then she like betrays Merlin, and they like fight about it. But she's supposed to be like okay, because Paris draws her with a triangle face and sunken eyes and like squirrely hair. So no, she's like she's like this sexual mystical female figure. Okay, like, so the Diodato interpretation. Yeah, because you know women accurate. in myth aren't people; they're symbols. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Adam. But I just want to point that out about I, I, one of the things that actually turned me off about that. I was like reading it. I'm like, I'm not a Paris fan to begin with. Anyway, I thought the Ultron and these ladies aren't hot enough. Um, was that what it was called? Is Ultron a parent of the Mighty Avengers story or the Perez Busick one? Which is the Busick Perez one? Like, what is it? Issues like 11 to 14 or something? Uh, it's like 19 to 21 or something. It's Ultron Unlimited. Ultron Unlimited is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, I thought it was stronger there, but maybe because he wasn't drawing... He's drawing a robot instead? Sorry, go ahead, Adam. Maybe, yeah. No, uh, the first three issues I really like... Well, I, I always include the fourth because that's where they actually create the team, and I remember really loving that as a kid. Um, and yeah, D-Man's there. Well, yeah, and D-Man shows up. Well, in issue one... I liked it because it really set the stage for someone who didn't really know a lot about the Avengers. Uh, I had read a little bit during Heroes Reborn, but then I remember picking up that issue, and it had so many Avengers were in it, and then it was just it was just a big kind of romp. It was fun and ex- exciting for me. And then issues two and three had this kind of alternate world where everyone was a little bit different and it was all medieval. And I mean, Avengers have done stuff like that before in their history, but as a kid, well, I'm not a kid, I guess at this point, I was 12 or 13 years old, I had never really seen anything like that before, so that was really exciting. And then... You have the the return of Wonder Man, who I didn't even know he was dead, didn't really know who he was, but that was my entry point into Wonder Man as a character, and the bond between him and uh, Scarlet Witch was really well done throughout Busick's run, but especially here where it started. And then issue four, you actually have the team kind of coming together. You have all these Avengers there, and they slowly break off, and then they come up with the new core cast. Uh, there's some great Hawkeye moments in that issue, as well as a good whirlwind appearance. Um, I just, it's one there of my... There are no good world appearances. Okay, yes, there are. <laughs> this is a good one. Um, anyways, I've always really, really been captivated by these first few issues. I mean, I like B6 Run for the most part. Um, there are some missteps throughout, but the first four issues are extremely strong. Uh, he's just kind of setting up his world and his vision of what the Avengers could be before Triathlon, before Silver Claw, before a okay, lot of this, yeah, good. <laughs> before a lot of the stuff that maybe didn't work as well and obviously turned off a young Paul Scores. Um, but w- when it started, it was still quite strong, and it to me feels like the most classic expression of what the Avengers are. Interesting, uh, Paul. What's uh, wait, wait before you? Um, oh, sorry. Uh, I just want to touch down on that. Amber was talking. Uh, this isn't on any of our lists, so forgive me if I bring it up. But uh, Uncanny Avengers Volume One, uh, well, actually, the Uncanny Avengers in general, uh, they're still touching on things that Busek started started in motion back then. Uh, the fact that Wanda brought uh, Wonder Man back to life, essentially reconstructed him from ionic energy and brought him back into existence, uh, is still being talked about by Remender. So, I mean, that's kind of a neat thing we, in terms of like. We over talked about that though. Well, I, it's it's very important for the relationship. Yeah, but it was too much. Like that was the weakest point in that story to me. Is I was frustrated by the like, oh, you're just her lap dog because she made you. I shouldn't even be here, Wanda, but I love you. And she's just like, okay. They, they mentioned it like three.
three times. That's it's okay. It I know, but it's like three times in six issues. It's like so you can't get it in every you, issue. What, you talk about, you're talking about like the X-Men era that you love in the 90s when everybody's melodramatic all the time about everything, including basketball games. Yeah, but that's that's more important. It's not. Okay? Wolverine popped the ball because he was like passionate about the basketball, but he felt Gene, that he wasn't respected. Gene, I was wondering. I was wondering... Will you marry me? <laughs> oh, Scott, yes, but what if we have children? They'll be mutants, and they'll have to deal with the same problems we have every day of their lives. I know, Gene. I know. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> but Sinister knows what your future holds. Like, all that 90s stuff is so melodramatic anyway. Yeah, but it's gone It's now. great, but, it's, but bring it. It's the uncanny Avengers. you got to bring the melodrama in. And you know what? It was, it's a very dramatic thing to, like, be brought back to life. Yeah, but it's... You created me, Amber. I'm not a real person. I exist because of your imagination. So, I mean, it's... I thank you for that. It's important to me. It's, it's like... It's I do, too. Melodrama when Rogue punches Grim Reaper to death accidentally, and it's Simon's brother, and she's like, I didn't know how strong you were, and the press is there. Yeah, that's crazy. And you're like, OMG. Yeah. But, um... Saying constantly that he loves It's not Wanda. constant. It's like two or three times. It's six issues. There's nothing about issues. Wanda to make her lovable either. She's well, just that's like, the problem with Wanda. There. She's kind of a she's, a she's kind of a cipher in some ways. Yeah. Well, it depends who's writing her. Well, hold she's on. Back in the day, uh, during I think the first issue of Ultron Unlimited, uh, Busick and Perez had her uh, dancing in her gypsy garb, and it was quite alluring. Yes, I know. <laughs> but still, not that. a character. You know what her character was? See, like, what that is, is the problem. I said she's not really a character, and Adam comes back with, "Well, she did a sexy dance." What do you mean? Why is that a problem? What are you talking? You just talked about Jack of Hearts, who you barely even know. It's like, well, I like him because he's sexy. Don't know about his face though, or anything about him. But that was good. His physical traits are not what's important. It's his brooding nature. And the fact that okay, he's who like, who cares whether you emphasize physical traits or, or emotional traits? You still think you, the because first thing out of your mouth was like, I like him because you, you know him for one issue and he's dead. I've known him for two volumes. Yeah. He was a hero. Okay, let's move on <laughs> to our next selections. Uh, Paul. Why? It's so good. I know it's good. I, I, I gotta I gotta rein this in a little. <laughs> this is what the shenanigans are all about. Uh, okay, how do, we, how do I top that? Okay, uh, so moving on chronologically. Um, Siege, I guess, is next. Oh, Siege uh, is on me. your list? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The Avengers were kind of, they kind of came back finally after kind of being swept to the side and, and kind of in hiding and people were dead and finally came back and, you know, almost, here's another, it was a nice way to cap off everything that's happened leading up to it. The uh, the incredible art again by Corpel. Um really helped yes. that book along. You, the the one shot of when Cap throws the shield and the reflections there and the Iron Patriot's face oh, or whatever it was. Just so good. gorgeous. Um, you and... knew exactly. Because you know what? That was so much built up, so much pent up anxiety that all the readers, they like, I want to see Green Goblin get his comeuppance. Yeah. And that shot of him throwing the shield with Goblin's face in the reflection. Yeah. You're all, and then it ends, the, the, the comic ends, and you're waiting for next month. You're like, I cannot wait for him to get that shield to the face. And then he gets in the face like multiple times after that. It's so good. Yeah. It's incredible. So, um, yeah. yeah. And it was nice. It was short and sweet. It was four issues. There was no drawn out garbage. There was nothing that made it feel long. The, the, some of the tie-ins, you read them great. If you didn't, you didn't miss anything. Um, you gotta put that on the uh, flavored like text on the back of that trade. I wish they would quote Paul Scores. No garbage, <laughs> or what would you, know, what, would you, what would you call it? 
No, like, extra garbage. No extra garbage. <laughs> there was no filler. It was straight into the point. They didn't have to yeah. drag on and yeah. have dinner twice before they fought Norman Osborn. Yeah. It was, let's and the, go. And the Dark Avengers tie-in is fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, the tie-in books were very well too. Like, yeah. Century like, is like... Yeah, yeah you can God. you can pass on the Dark Wolverine crap. You can pass on the embedded stuff, maybe. But um, yeah, the two Avenger books, the Dark and New, that went with it, were were nice uh, mm -hmm. side pieces for sure. But the core story, nice, quick, they're down and dirty, four issues, get her done. You know, shield of the face, beautiful art. You, yeah. you can't go wrong there. And then the death of Ares and the death of Sentry, very important. Yes. Yeah. Well, not not airy so much, but it was brutal. It was Game of Thrones style. It got torn in half. He saw his guts splayed everywhere. It was crazy. I forgot about that. Yeah, and then bringing down Asgard, the Sentry just tearing it up. Oh my gosh, so cool! And then I love Koipel's design of the the, the the Void. He's my favorite artist ever. But like that redesign of the Void, because the Void has always been like this black monster or a guy in a in a in a a, a duster and a hat. Or a, a tentacle creature, but his interpretation of him, this like this cosmic crab monster, almost this crustacean. You're limbs. okay with that? Beautiful. It, like, it looks so good. Okay, Amber, are you still with uh, okay. us? Okay. <laughs> Next up. Yep. I got yes. another Earth uh, Mightiest Heroes Avenger. I have Lionheart of Avalon by uh, Chuck Austin. No way! Seriously. Yeah, yeah, it's a good story. You don't like Lionheart of Avalon? <laughs> I hate everything that Austin touches. Okay, well, it's a good story. Don't you have any heart, Adam? Uh, I, I just, I never found that storyline very interesting. I thought it was... Read it ha again. Read it again. Ham-fisted. Like, this incredible emotional resonance. When, yes. Like, when, like, you know, Cap, they're, they're, they're fighting the, the Wrecking Crew, and Cap's down, and, like, this woman just runs in and, like, picks up his shield... And she's like just a person, and she picks it up, and she's getting hammered on by the wrecking crew, yeah. and her arm is shattered, so and they're there. beating her down, yeah. and she's just holding up his shield. And like somebody stopped like, them, they're killing her. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. like she's protecting Cap, and they beat her to death. Yes, but because of her noble sacrifice, she gets to become Captain Captain Britain. But then, like, it's also like she goes into like this mystical realm in Avalon to get these powers imbued on her, and like. Arthur's there with, like, hot, hot Megan wife just, like, hanging out, like, hi, I'm an elf. Oh, and Koyal so, draws the poop out of this. Yeah, so it's, like, this beautiful art, and it's, like, so much pathos for the create. Like, this is one of the best hero creation stories. And they like, never use her again. I know! But, like, it's done so quickly, but it's so good, and yeah. it's so poignant, and yeah. the fact that she, like, you can choose the sword of a shield, yeah, and she chooses yeah. the sword. Very hero's journey. Yeah, because, like, 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 um... Braddock chose the shield, obviously, to be, like, the shield of Britain, and she chose a sword, and I think it's also nice because, like, this comic has a lot of, like, ladies as, as people, and, like, mm -hmm. making choices. And, and mothers, and too, mother-son yeah, relationships. She's, like, and, she's, yeah. like, she's a mother, and, like, even, even Janet features prominently in this issue, and she's good, and She-Hulk features in this issue, and it's, like, a lot of women characters without being like oh let's just be cheesecake let's just be yeah they're not it's a, a little cheesecake they're not a, like, it is a little, i know what's well, quite well but they're but, not they're not important the women are not important in this book because of their relationship to men yeah the, that's what's important yeah they're important in their own right and i think she's like the, the creation of this character is great and she's like angry about it that she's been made this hero and she can't tell her kids and she like she did this to save her kids, but now she can't see them again. She can't yeah. she can't ever see them again because she has to go be captain in Britain. And as far as her kids know, she's dead basically, right? Because she died. And it's just really 
cool and I love the mythology aspects and I love this this idea that like Captain Britain is Britain so they're trying to like they're trying to kill Braddock to destroy England and it's also like this weird focus on England a little bit like well, that, we must destroy England is it Austin British yeah I think so so I guess there's like like it's just really good and just the language used like you know they're saying that England remains Inviolate, and I'm like, cool. Who uses inviolate in a comic anymore? It's cool. That's just like, yeah, it's it. He must have uh, Chuck must have had an editor come in, or maybe there's a ghostwriter coming in here and writing under his pen name. I don't understand what <laughs> happened, but it's like it's a Jeff Loeb scenario. Like Jeff is the poops. He sucks. I don't like Jeff Loeb in general, but then you get him together with Tim Sale, and all of a sudden it works. So I don't know who talked him off the ledge, but Chuck Austin did a very good job on this arc. Yeah. So it's I quite enjoyed it and it was like it gets you right in the feels but it still tells a cool action myth story yeah that scene where they kill her is so good yeah and then she's like at the end and she's Captain Britain and she like looks at her kids and she's not allowed to take her mask off or show like she's like there with like her but doesn't her son like put up her poster or something yeah yeah, like her son puts up her poster there's a, after there's he sees cool her. New Avenger, there's a yeah. new, there's a new Captain America. Yeah, Burton. well, he puts yeah. he's putting up Captain America, and then well, he originally like, has Cap up. Yeah, right? and then he's he... like he puts her up too or yeah. something. And he yeah. says like how, sweet. how cool she is, and like her kids are all upset because she's dead, and then she's all upset because she can't go to her kids and say like I'm not dead. She's like crying in her bed, and that's the last panel. Yeah, right in the feels. It's really surprising me that Adam doesn't like it. That's, I thought that would have been right up Adam. Yeah, Adam life. really likes tender and meaningful stories about characters. I guess not always. <laughs> Apparently sometimes Adam I'm heartless. Hearts. Yeah, read it again, dude. Uh, who's who's next? All the awful things he reads. Hmm. And Whoa! Like, well, that's true. She-Hulk, Red She-Hulk was better, I think. <laughs> it's an eight. It's an eight. I don't know. I think garbage. Back that up. All right, Nate... Uh, I guess next would be, uh, for my chronological, would be New Avengers Illuminati. Says Avengers. (laughs) And well, not only is it say New Avengers, but these guys are the New Avengers now, currently. So there are multiple books where these guys are acknowledged as the Avengers. Uh, Anymore. Have sex with your wife. (laughs) (laughs) He will have sex with your wife. Um, this is a great series. I really enjoyed this miniseries. I love... Um, the episodic nature of it—it's almost like the, it's, it's very like in mythology. This would be the works of Hercules, right? The labors of Hercules. Mm. These are the labors of this team, trying not to shatter every single issue. Uh, the personalities of each of the characters oozes out of the pages. Uh, perhaps with the exception of Black Bolt, he's a strong silent type. But um, <laughs> for, the, for those who aren't familiar with the original Illuminati, uh, it was um, Iron Man, Tony Stark, uh, Black Bolt, uh, Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange. Um, not this uh, Dr. Voodoo thing. Uh, Reed Richards, Namor, and Xavier before his untimely death. Although, maybe very timely. It was pretty timely. It's several, it's three deaths in, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so, they have a pre- the first story is a preemptive strike. They say, now we've made this secret group, let's go attack the Skrull uh, army before they build up their armies, and they make a big mistake. They run into a war zone and essentially incite... Um, the, the the scrolls to, to to see that there is a threat that human beings are a threat the scrolls study them and you're left to infer that perhaps from this the scrolls realize how to copycat uh, yeah, humans secret better. invasion happens because of this initiative yeah uh, so they screw over humanity that way and of course Project Strike you know alludes to uh, the U S invasion of Iraq uh, which again is a timely kind of commentary on that um, as it happened a few years prior. 
And then the next issue is dealing with the Infinity Gems, and I love the Infinity Gems. I love the Infinity Gems more than I like the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. The mm. concepts I'm too are, into the Infinity Gems. I think they're so cool. There's just great cosmic artifacts that exist in the Marvel Universe, and they, they capture my, my childlike side of just there, there are these things that they all have their own names, and they all have their own properties, and it, they were great in, even in, in games like uh, the arcade game, um, Marvel, Marvel Superheroes. Super yep. Yeah where you got to take the Infinity Gems and use them as part of your moveset and activate mm -hmm. them, and I was just, like, captured by them. Whenever I see them, I just love that cover that uh, Perez draws for the Infinity Gauntlet. It's so good. Oh, my goodness, yes. Like, it's better that that cover is better than the story. But <laughs> the, the, idea that, the idea that they need to assemble them here, and Bendis does this several times. Like, he introduces this concept here about assembling the gems so that the Illuminati has them. And he does it again, and which which is it like volume four, or volume five, Adam of Avengers, where he does it again? Hero in the Hero Cage. Hero Cage. Um, which volume? Volume two. Is that five. What? Sorry, which what, what are you asking? Um, is the Heroic Age Avengers book classified as like volume five of Avengers, or is it just oh, volume yeah. two of the book called Avengers? No, no, it's volume five. Okay, so that reboot again in the Heroic Age of Avengers, he does it again. And of course, now Hickman's taking up the mantle and using the Infinity Gems again. And whenever they use them, I just I love those stories. And so there's a great one here about them gathering them together and gathering the gauntlet. And they get the gauntlet, and then Uatu's and then Uatu appears, and they're like, um, "Uatu's here. We should probably calm down because he only comes when things are going to go bad." So they disassemble. He's going to watch that, yeah. or if he's yeah. going to prevent something from going bad by not interfering, <laughs> but by directly well, interfering. Well, I know, by appearing in the room with his giant bald head. That is self-interfering. Totally, I know, right? Because they're like, there's a Watu, something's going down. Yeah, in Onslaught, he's like sitting in Central Park away from everybody, chilling and hanging out with Apocalypse, but over here, he totally comes in the room. And, and so they put the gauntlet, they take the gauntlet apart, and they all hide the different gems. And I just think it's such a cool running storyline in the Marvel Universe. There's some other cool things here, too. I like the retcon of the Beyonders being an Inhuman. I think that was neat. Um, My only you know, problem with that, Nate, was that there was already so many retcons about what the Beyonder was and that he was supposed to be an evolved cosmic cube that I just I don't like when they've already used retroactive continuity to try and fix something and then they just fix it again without doing anything <laughs> to unfix the last fix. And that, yeah, but that's comics. You prefer Hewer Cube? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with him being an evolved cosmic cube. Why not? I agree they could do better on their edit editorial um, corrections, but that is comics, and I agree with Amber. I much prefer him being in a human than a, an evolved cosmic cube. Like, how many origins did Cassandra Nova have? And, we're still... <laughs> and she was, like, in a short period of time. But wait, who really is character. Zorn? Gene. <laughs> Gene is Zorn. No one cares who Zorn is. Gene pretending to be Zorn, pretending to be Zorn. Yeah. Um, From the future. Uh, one more thing I'll mention about this before we move on is uh, just the personalities that – again, this is what Bendis was really – he felt more thoughtful. Before, like It's almost like before he wrote things, he thought about it first. Well, this isn't just um, Bendis, though. This is Bendis with Brian Reed. Yeah. Well, maybe that may added to the, the thoughtfulness of it. But there's uh, but the dialogue is distinctly Bendis. And uh, there's a great scene where, where um, Doctor Strange is sitting – and this is like fourth or fifth issue – where Doctor Strange is sitting in a room just som in a somber kind of uh, meditative state – and Reed comes in and says, Dr. Strange, is everything okay? And Strange responds, Clea left me. And Reed goes, Clea. And, and, and Strange, my, my protege. And Reed, oh, have I met her? Strange, 32 times. White hair. And Reed's like, oh, yes, yes, she left you, seriously. And then Tony comes in. Gentlemen, Reed, Clea left. Tony, 
Clea left? Oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. She was so very, she was very attractive. <laughs> and and it's this, this instantaneous difference, right? That Reed because is, Tony knows yes. Clea because she's a hottie. Yes. And as smart as Reed is, he was like, he's not interested in the details of what people yeah. look like. Reed is interested in cosmic things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a great series of panels that just sh- totally establishes those characters. If this was your first comic, as as a 10 year old kid then you're like I totally get it you should get it right yeah I just love it and of course Blackball comes in and says nothing but that's good too <laughs> that's all he can do <laughs> because he's, well, he's scroll he's scroll Blackbolt anyway right so, so can scroll Blackbolt top yeah I guess uh, yeah he does he could doesn't he when he, when he Blackbolt when he reveals himself let me see he right, could, here. right he, he does yeah can, he, can I... yeah no he, right here he comes in in the last issue and they're like he blows everybody up right and blows up the body of the scroll um Electra and then he's and then he says, "You are correct in that this world has been taken from you, and it, as it was in written, green it scroll is, text, it is yeah. now done." Yeah. yeah. So he's totally just talking to. He's not really Blackwell. He's just emulating, right? Yeah. I think the scrolls are too powerful in their emulating ability. Yes, they like are. they should not be able to emulate all everyone's powers all the time. Like, can scrolls sentry just be sentry? Because they're basically well, they're not. They're not as powerful. Right? Like, he's not as powerful as the but real. Like, but because like, doesn't like World War yeah, Hulk comes back in World War Hulk and kicks the crap? Doesn't he like kill the scroll version or almost almost kills the scroll version of uh, yeah. Black Bolt? Yeah. Yeah, but like 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 um, what isn't it? Kalark or Kalert or Kalert is the super scroll. Kalark is uh, oh, is gladiator. Gladiator. Um, he he was like supposed to be the product of like all this experimentation, and he was like super special that he could like use the Fantastic Four's powers. And now they're like, like well, you're gonna be this hero, and you're gonna be this hero, and you're gonna be this hero. Like, how long were they working on this? Well, I mean, the Illuminati kind of establishes that, right? They yeah, said that they they went back and and they they learned from these people when they were captured by the Skrulls in issue one of this miniseries. So I don't know. And now Clerk Clerk is like. A cosmic general leader from the Infinity, right? He's like on warships and he's making yeah. big decisions. So I, I kind of like what they've done with him. But well, he, he leads the Scroll Empire, does he not? Yeah. Yeah. And he loves you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love him too. Alrighty then. Um, my number three was it's kind of a weird pick. Um, JLA versus Avengers, or JLA Avengers, if you want to call it. Um, this is this was twenty years in the making. Uh, they started this in nineteen eighty one, and then Marvel and DC had some major issues, so they they stopped working on it completely. Um, and then eventually, in I guess two thousand one, they started working on it again. It's the last DC Marvel crossover we've had, um, so it's been what twelve years since it came came out, um, and we're probably not going to have another crossover for a long time. Um, it's Kurt Busiek kind of doing what Kurt Busiek does. Telling a very kind of old school comic book story. Convoluted. Pardon me. Very uh, continuity based. Oh, absolutely! Like I mean, that's all, that's all he knows. There's a reason why of my top five, Busick, I believe, wrote three of them because mm-hmm. I think he's one of my favorite Avengers writers. I think he gets the classic kind of iconic versions of the characters. He loves continuity to a way that is ridiculous and and obscene, but that I appreciate. Um, his work on JLA Avengers is a great kind of example of this, as he's able to successfully navigate both DC and Marvel continuity together. They, it's again, it's it's very comic booky because you have the Justice League having to fight the Avengers for the sake of their universes, because you have Krona yeah. from the DC universe making a wager with Grandmaster from the Marvel universe. But there's a twist in that. Um, the Kronos kind of rigged the deck where Marvel's champions are actually working for him and Grandmaster is actually rooting for the DC heroes um, and we kind of need the DC heroes 
to whim, um, so that the universe doesn't get destroyed. Um, there's a MacGuffin in the first two issues where it's who can get to these items of power first, including the, yeah. the ultimate nullifier, and there's a bunch of really cool ones from the Marvel Universe and then a bunch from the DC Universe. Um, does it hold up? Does yeah. it? Yeah. A bunch of really cool ones from Marvel, and then some things from DC. But yeah. The artifacts from the Marvel Universe are actually quite cool. They're, the, I think, they're more compelling. Oh, I, I agree with that. The stuff from the um, the DC Universe is not nearly as compelling or interesting. Um, it's yeah. just the way they shred a kryptonite, maybe. Uh, a no. Flash ring. Yeah, I, kryptonite. Uh, I think it's utility belts. The gun that shot Bruce Wayne's parents. <laughs> <laughs> the lasso of truth. This is this is after Marvel vs. DC? This is after Marvel vs. DC was, I believe, yes. 96 or 95. Yeah. So this is like seven or eight Something years like later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and again, it, has it aged that well? Maybe not, but um, I still yeah, love I it. I find it unreadable. I, you know what? It is, it's before writing in comic books changed. Like, there's a lot of talking and kind of explaining some of their powers, <laughs> but I'm okay with that because... Yes. In, in something like this, you kind of need that. Because nobody knows what Superman's powers are. Okay, well, nobody the, does. you know who his, yeah. you know his powers, but there's like every Avenger and every Justice League member that had ever been on either of those teams showed up within this four issue miniseries, and that's no Classic mean man. feat. Like that's Classic a lot of characters. So every B list hero on both sides. Every B list, every D D man shows up. So every D list hero, <laughs> they're all there. Oh, based on monster. I'm like triathlons there, isn't he? <laughs> no, yeah, he, there. he yeah. was new. Of course, he got to be there. Sure well, the Great Lakes there. Avengers are on the, one of the covers, so I guess it's everybody. Yeah. Anyways, that's my that's my third one. I it's it's a weird choice. Um, I've been like kind of flipping through it today, and I'm like, man, I gotta go read all of this right away. It's uh, it's also George Perez, and again, either you love him or you hate him, or. Like I, obviously Nate doesn't really care a lot for him, but for me, like he's he's my Avengers artist. He's fantastic. Anyways, who uh, who wants to go next for their 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 penultimate uh, list? <laughs> their penultimate choice. Well, I can go quick because uh, Nate already touched on it a bit, but um, we hit the heroic age. Um, well, what? So are, are you are you guys still good? Hello? Did we lose him? I think we may have lost yeah. Nate Nimmer. No, no. Just, yeah. Are we gone? No, they're there. We thought we lost you. This will all be edited out. And when I say all, oh, all no. be edited out, it won't <laughs> be. <laughs> okay. I'm experiencing a delay, though. I don't know. All right. Um, Paul's going to go with his penultimate choice. Sure. Well, sure. Uh, so the Heroic Age um, hits, and Nate already touched on this with uh, the Infinity Gems. Uh, story arc that we did. This is despite Romita doing art and despite the hood being the villain in the series. <laughs> but um, uh, I thought Ben did a fantastic job with this Infinity Gem story and how you got to the kind of the Illuminati are kind of discovered by Captain America and you know no more secrets, no more bullcrap, and you know he now kind of becomes a quasi member until Hickman changes that. Um, and they go hunting to the various, you know, secret spots where these gems are held, and you see w- how the Illuminati, you know, hid these gems to the ends of the earth um, to protect the world against use of them until completely necessary. No, it, it was a really good storyline. It was uh, nice to see the, the Illuminati kind of um, being discovered. Um, having Captain America kind of become part of the squad was kind of interesting as well, although, again, Hickman would get rid of that. Um, 
yeah, it was it was it was fun. It it, it did feel it felt fresh. I I think coming into the heroic age at first, uh, Bendis felt a little bit recharged after after Siege because the dark reign was over. We're back to being heroes. Uh, the first dark was kind of a fun time travel thing with Ultron, which was interesting, which would eventually lead to the terrible Age of Ultron. Um, the, then the second arc, you got to see the, you know, again, the Infinity Gems are always really exciting when they're used, especially like this. Um, so yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. And again, it's too bad Bendis couldn't keep that energy up, because the next arc was atrocious, and then... AVX happened, and then when AVX was over, Bendis was still writing Avengers until he left and Marvel Now started, so you had this weird... It felt like he was a lame duck writer writing a book that was basically on borrowed time, waiting for Hickam to take over, so... But this was a great arc, I agree. Any thoughts from you guys? I don't know if I read it, It has the Infinity Gem, so you guys know how I feel. Yes, yes. I didn't read it. Um, it's, it's the one book... It's the one arc from this run I would get. Yeah, I would agree. It's yeah. the only one really worth and like trade. But I, I don't know if I'm gonna. I, it's a little hard to get, but yeah, it's it's worth it. Um, Amber, what is, is it your? Hard to get? It, it's well, now it is. It's it's been a few years. They didn't print okay, a lot. So then I'll wait for it. Uh, I'll wait for a comicsology a comicsology sale then, and just do it that way. Yeah. My my penultimate choice. Yes, please. We gotta say penultimate as many times as possible. <laughs> it's uh... a. <laughs> The Ultimates. Which one? The Ultimates, Volume One. Volume One, okay. It's the only one titled The Ultimates, isn't it? It is. Uh, well, you just say it's the second volume of The yeah. Ultimates. But Volume One, like it was a really cool, fresh take on uh, the Avengers, and I think they, like the most of the Marvel heroes are already like, I guess, real people, like they're grittier characters, and certainly DC characters, but this was like make them even grittier. Like, it's not like him, put, hit Janet. Put George Bush in it. Yeah. That's how gritty George it is. George Bush is in it. Samuel L. Jackson is in <laughs> yeah. it. Um, and it's not like Hank hit Janet once. It's like he beats her all the time. <laughs> and, like, she lays, like, giant egg sacks that they have to kill. And Hulk eats people now. It's Scarlet not like. Scarlet Witch has sex with toasters. Yeah. <laughs> Scarlet Witch is, like, a technophile of some kind. And, like, more nudity for everyone. <laughs> especially giant men. Um, it was just, like, it was really well done. And, like, Tony has, you know, his cluster tumors in his brain. He'll never be healed. And, it's, and he's it's, a raging alcoholic. Yeah, he's, he's, like, an insane alcoholic, and he's happy about it. He's not tortured about it. He's like, this is amazing. And is Thor a crazy hippie, or is he actually the son of Odin? Like, it's it's ambiguous. And but Banner's Hulk is, is, is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, he's a monster. Yeah. He's not, like, he's not, he's not like other Hulk who has some sort of hyper-intelligence that formulaically when he destroys a building, he never kills anyone because he can see all the structural weak points and how it will fall, and so Hulk never has to kill anyone. He's like, nah, I'll kill everyone. i like, eat them. Didn't, like, like 10,000 people die or something in that attack? Uh, so, something the, uh, like that. They call it almost like a... It's, like a, it's a major incident in the Ultimate Universe. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was, like, it was a terrible thing. And I think, like, Iron Widow is good, and, like, this is obviously one of the biggest inspirations for the film universe Avengers. So yes. I think it's the one that would be most familiar to people like yeah. who are film fans. Especially with the Chitari. Oh yeah, the Chitari instead of the Skrulls yeah. and and the like Black Widow and Hawkeye are basically taken lifted right out of this. Uh, it's it's I think really, really good. And um, it's just like when it was coming out, it came out so slowly. And it was like it, Brian Hitchens actually wasn't terrible in the first volume. It was, it was the, no, second the second one. Volume. It was just unbelievable, yeah. But it's just 
it's a it's a cool, fun, edgy story, and I quite enjoy it. And I think it's um it's a the Ultimates universe when it started did did what it wanted to do really well, and it got to write these heroes without all the the bogged down continuity that surrounds them. That's it. Yeah, it lets you open for surprises, right? That whole idea about what is Thor? What actually is he? And they and he casts doubt on you know the reader he has to guess and pieces together. Like that was a fun little mental puzzle you get to do as a reader that is not present. There's no ambiguity in the Marvel universe. He is Thor. He is Odin's son. That's mm-hmm. the end of it, right? Um, so yeah, I, I love how Cap's origin is retold in this as well, from the, the World War II perspective of him jumping out of the plane without a parachute. Uh, of him just fighting the Hulk directly. Yeah, kicks him um, in the junk. Kicks him in the junk, and starts. But you know, he uses a tank. The tank's not good enough, and he's like, he's fighting the Hulk, who's tearing people's limbs off. But Cap steps up to attack him, and then when all hope looks lost and he's about to kill everyone, the lightning comes down, and you get that amazing Thor Hulk fight that you always, you know, you, everyone loves in the Marvel universe. And I love that they made this first arc built around that. And what a great fight! Oh my goodness. I love all that, and, and they do it again in the movie, right? The Ultimates movie and the cartoon by um, by Lionsgate. Yeah, mm-hmm. another great fight. Yeah, like Hitch just he does a really good job of drawing dynamic combat. Mm. It's extremely well done. This is some of Hitch's best art, in my opinion. Yeah, and like the the expressions on people's faces, the way things are like when when Cap goes to visit uh, Gale, and she won't see him because she's old, and he doesn't want him to see her like that because he's still young. Yeah, this will be telling here. And, of course, Cap being the man from the 40s who wants to go pick a fight with uh, Pym because Pym is, is a coward. He's his wife. It's a woman, yeah. so he goes out to the bar and says, we're going to have some words, let's go outside, and takes him outside, and then beats the crap out of Pym. Right? Like, it's just it's so, it's so cool. Cap yeah. is awesome on this. It's really good. And I think, I think as, like, in... In geeky elitism, I guess. I think a lot of the Ultimate stories get overlooked now because the Ultimate Universe went like a little. It, yeah, it went. It died. It went off the rails, and then it died. So like all the stuff from early Ultimate Universe is like impure, and it's not six one six, and it's not like it's not even AOA. It's not even DOFP. It's just like its own thing, and it's not doesn't cross over, and therefore it's lesser than. But I don't think that like these are worse stories, and I know even like I myself sometimes think of them as lesser stories because I'm like, Ugh, the movies are all drawing from Ultimate stuff. If only they could draw from like the six one six stuff. But the Ultimate stuff is good. Like it's the same creators, and they're doing a good job. Just because they're doing the characters in a different way doesn't make them any worse. Yeah, but they they played around in the sandbox too much, and they they've gone so extreme in so many different directions. Like at Ultimatum, it died for a lot of people. Like I've wanted to kind of dabble and look back again but <clears throat> the, the interest to do so isn't there but I can look back on the early stuff and still think it, it stands the test of time I think you can't take away from those stories despite the current Ultimate Universe being a disaster like you know I remember the moments that struck me where like when, when Black Widow turns out to be you know the bad girl and she pops Jarvis right through the skull and she you know after you know getting proposed to by Iron Man in her fancy suit and just, you know, leaving Hulk to, or Bruce Banner to die on that helicarrier, you know, mm-hmm. an execution style for what he did. And it just, it was mind-blowing and wow. And, you know, I don't think they would even do that again now in the Ultimate Universe. Like, mm-hmm. back then it was so groundbreaking, and I think you just kind of leave that as its own thing. And also it's one mini-series, and enjoy it for what it was. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of what you have to do with the ultimate universe now like it was a good project 
and if they're gonna do I almost want I'm like I'm glad it died and I almost want to see it like just then do something else with this that they take like they just stop publishing Ultimate Comics they yeah. need to they, just, they stop. keep trying to reboot it for some stupid reason I don't know why like if their Cataclysm was gonna do it and they didn't yeah. It's because Spider-Man it still sells. Rebooted. It was a reboot itself. You don't need to reboot a reboot. You still have the regular comics going. If they want to write something else in like an alterverse with these characters, I'm yeah, fine with just that. Just do Tales of the Marvel Universe. If you want to tell an off story about something else, just do Tales of the Marvel Universe. You don't have to. I mean, the Triskelion was even included in the Captain America movie. Like they're they're blurring the lines between what is and what isn't. You know, Ultimates and what isn't Six One Six. You have Black Nick Fury now in the Six One Six universe as a result. It, there's really not a need to have the separate universes anymore. They've they've taken the best parts that they like from the Ultimate Universe and they've already incorporated them into the Six One Six universe. Yeah. Either by virtue of the movies or just by you know editorial decision. Very true. And and to your point, Adam, like yeah, I get Miles Morales still sells, but then just do him. Just like Spider Girl was still around, being the only thing left from MC Two, still do right. Miles Morales stories and leave the rest of it and and throw it in the garbage. Yeah. It's not working. Okay. Here's the thing. So. They, they did try a bunch of different waves of MC2, and I think that's what they're still trying with Ultimates, is that at least now they're... I do give them credit because, like, there are new, all new Ultimates, and they all new Fantastic Four in the in the Ultimate Universe. They are using different characters now in these in these roles, and I think they're, they're trying to tell different types of stories. Like, the all new Ultimates is really just Spider-Man and his amazing friends in the Ultimate Universe, and it's, like, Cloak and Dagger and a bunch of others, and I'm like, all right, well, that's... Them trying something fun and new. Yeah, but what is the point of keeping the same names? Like, what what brand? The reason for keeping a brand is because it has name recognition, and you want to capitalize on the power of that brand. There's no power to the ultimate brand. Nobody knows what it is. No new or younger readers have any idea what's going on. No. The older readers who are familiar with Ultimates are like Amber and I. Like, we like the older stuff, but honestly, the newer stuff we're not going to touch. So there's no benefit to keeping the brand of ultimate anything the uh, not necessarily spider-man-ish uh well okay not necessarily only because the branding ultimate now for younger readers if they exist uh will have transferred to like just spider-man himself because of the animated series there is an ultimate spider-man animated series so they, they see... just call it ultimate spider-man they'll call it the ultimates well they're a big again for the kids though they're reading miles morales ultimate spider-man they're like, okay, I know Spider-Man, who's this Miles Morales guy, but then there's, like, these other titles that are linked through the Ultimate name, so they're like, well, if I'm reading Ultimate Spider-Man, and there's also Ultimate Fantastic Four, well, these are somehow related, I should try these as well. I mean, I guess that's the, the marketing you perspective. You just put them in the 616 universe and put that Ultimate adjective at the, at the front if you like. There's no need for an Ultimate universe. That's confusing for older readers, and younger readers it means nothing. So keeping that branded Ultimate universe is, is, is a pointless as calling the next Wii the Wii U. It's just damaging it all together. Nobody even knows what the Wii U is. Yeah, so but, the, like, but they are telling stories in the Ultimate universe that they can't tell in the regular universe anymore. Oh, please. They can tell whatever stories they want. My last, One of my last Avengers stories here we'll show that okay but i have a 616 avenger story here that is in the 616 universe and they can tell whatever stories they want and it's awesome yeah they do whatever they want then they just retcon it away if it doesn't work out well but what i mean though is that like they're telling stories where like in a universe where there is like there is no captain america anymore there are no avengers so this is the team that kind of comes up from that to kind of take over the responsibility if you put that into the 616 it doesn't have the same effect because it's an avengers world for god's sakes like they, there are so many Avengers titles you can't you okay, can't you then can't make pretend make it series like yeah. as I said you can call a book Marvel Tales they did it all the time yeah. they just tell whatever stories they want called Tales of the Marvel Universe and they do whatever they want 
it doesn't matter. Like, you can do any continuity changes that you like. It doesn't have to be the ultimate brand. Kill the ultimate mm-hmm. brand. It is not useful anymore. It is poisonous, in my opinion. Alright, well, let's move it's on done, from that. Right? Because who's even left from Like, the X-Men is decimated since Ultimatum. There's no one left. There's no recognizable characters. There is no X-Men book anymore in the Ultimate Universe. Right. Don't worry. It's, it's gone. Alright, um... So, where were we? Before we got on... Amber talked about Ultimates. Yes, Nate, Nate's what, next. What was your second last choice? Uh, uh, Secret Avengers by Warren Ellis and uh, a bunch of different artists. That was almost on my list. Uh, yeah, you know the book, Adam. Run the mission, don't get seen, save the world. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. This is essentially planetary in the Marvel Universe. It is phenomenal. It is a bunch of different artists, including, you know, uh, Aja and Lark, Meliv and Imanen, all working uh, on different one done-in-ones, uh, told from the perspective of the secret uh, Avengers team who goes and saves the world when no one even notices it, no one even knows what's going on. Um, and uh, just incredible storytelling. One, The one I'll point out as my favorite is... Uh, which issue is it? Number 20, called In Circle, which is where Black Widow witnesses the death of the team and then uses a time-traveling device to go back in time and reset history and, uh, and, and, and save the team by the end of it. And it's, just, it's, so, it's told so well. Uh, the art is so phenomenal, I believe. And uh, the panels where they keep showing her watch, because she, she essentially can go back in time only a certain period of time, like only a certain period, like um, distance into time. She can't go anywhere. It only resets it for, like, what is it, a day, I think, right? I think so. And then by the end of it, they succeed and they overcome the threat. It's not so difficult. And then they say, they say to her, um, uh, a war machine says, I guess we just didn't need that much help. And, and Black Widow is sitting there having rescued her team and, and saved everyone from dying and just goes, yeah, I guess. Like, she knows what she did. She went back in time and saved the whole team. And, there, and as far as War Machine is concerned, he's like, I guess we didn't need that much help. I guess that was pretty easy. We're okay. And she just sits there, yeah. And ends. Like, it's just so good. Everything about this, this, uh, these six issues is, is, uh, is a delight to read and see what he's, where he's going to go next. Uh, globe trotting across the world. At one point, they go to the Balkans and stop, like, human trafficking you know, another part they're stopping uh, secret uh, coalition governments from overtaking the you know the gov- you know the the, the, the world order. Um, other times they go to uh, it just you know um, underground bases of of, of uh, full of, of martial arts ninjas. Like it's just it's it's very planetary. It's very good, and it's technically Avengers, even though it's not the same spirit of you know the Busick Avengers. But uh, it, it's excellent, and I recommend it to anyone who's even remotely interested in an Avengers title. What's nice about it too is that it's very compact. As you said, it's a series of done in ones, but each done each of those done in ones feels like you got your money's worth. Uh, yeah. A lot of story happens, um, and it's and it's just at a breakneck pace. You just jump right into it, and I like that because I feel like more often than not in modern comics, there's a lot of setup and you're getting into it, and then just when things start going, the issue's over. Um, like the art of the done in one is a lost art for most writers. That don't even know what it is. Like Bendis wouldn't know a done in one if it if it bit him on the ass. Like he only works in six part arcs. So to, to have someone do six complete um, stories in six different issues is um, kind of uh, unheard of these days, and it's and it's breathtaking. Well, it's writing to trade, right? That's why. Well, writing to trade. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I I I I understand the idea of having 
your story, giving your story time to breathe. Like there's some writers, I think they could breathe. Like Dan Slott puts so much into a Spider-Man issue at times, he could honestly give it an extra issue or two because he he packs so much plot in. But then you have writers like Bendis who more often than not pad it out with characterization, which is good up until a point. But after a while, you're kind of like, okay, where is the plot? Is there any? Yeah, or are let's we do something? Yeah. Are we just doing Talking Heads? So I really admire Warren Ellis for being able to kind of. Just embrace the form and say, I'm just going to do a complete story, and I'm going to have a different artist each time. And you know what? He gives his artist room to tell story to. There are, there are certain pages where he's packed in a lot of panels and a lot of words, and then you turn the page, and there are pages where there's no dialogue, and it's just the artist telling the story. So it is incredible what Ellis is able to do by telling you know when you think of a done in one you think oh i guess they're just going to pack in all the talking but honestly there's a lot of silent panels a lot of panels of just showing transition or, or conveying ideas through visual it's incredible it is a, it, adam is right there is an art form to this a separate kind of meta art form that is beyond just drawing pictures um and uh it is it is largely lost and i think that if anyone's even interested in studying um that idea of, of concise storytelling this you know is a, a piece to, to look up to buy and to, and to look read for yourself. Is this the one that started with Heroic Age? Like the first arc was like the Serpent Count stuff? Yeah. Okay. First yeah, arc. that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the first two arcs, three arcs, well, then there was Fear Itself. Basically, just just buy the uh, the trade with Warren Ellis, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the art for the first arc was beautiful. It was Diodato art, and he was drawing Nova, and it was sexy, but. Yeah, the story was stupid. Yeah, the, the, uh, but yeah, it, there's not even a number on this. It's not even numbered. It is. I mean, the what issues are they? If you have to get them in issues, they are issues 16 to 21. But the the actual arc is just uh, run the mission, don't get seen, save the world. It's available on Amazon right now. Go pick it up. <laughs> All right. Totally. Um, my penultimate pick is. Uh... Probably the densest Avenger story you're ever going to read. Uh, Nate already mentioned it. It's Avengers pro- Forever! Yeah. It's probably the, the toughest Avengers read. Um, it is not for the faint of heart or for those who don't like a lot of reading. Um, also, for those no, for those who don't like complete and utter contradictions, like, where did the body from the vision come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I love, like, especially in the... Like, this came out, I believe, in 99 or 98... Um, so I would have been about 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, really getting into comics in like the three years previous. Um, what I love about a comic like this is that there's like, there for each issue, I think, I believe that originally came out, there was like footnotes and like a page of like references yep. so that you would understand yep. how many things are being dropped on you. If you wanted to get like basically everything in Avengers lore up until this point, um, as a, it's not even a crash course. It's like, um... It's like a doctorate in Avengers history after reading this. It's so, so dense. Um, it's a really well done story, but there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of continuity uh, uh, continuity fixes. Uh, Busick takes it upon himself to fix things that maybe didn't need to be fixed, but yep. he they were in his head as things that like, didn't make sense, so he wanted to make them make sense, even if it took him an issue to make, make it make sense. Um, and it's that a, does distract from the overall pacing. The pacing on this series is one of the biggest problems. Yeah, it is at its core a Kang versus Immortus story, um, yeah. which is very much a regular feature in Avengers throughout their history. Uh, as Kang always wants to stop himself from becoming the older version of himself, which is Immortus, and often the Avengers end up in the middle. Uh, this time you have Rick Jones 
summoning through use of the Destiny Force. Uh, sorry, is it the Destiny Force? or It is. Uh, he's able to bring together a weird, time-displaced version of the Avengers. You have Captain America from right after he's found out that the Secret Empire was headed up by uh, uh, President Nixon. So he's had his lowest, and he doesn't believe in himself anymore, which is a weird version to see of Captain America, because he's usually this amazing leader who stands up to everything, but here he's a broken man. Uh, yeah, I was kind of disappointed in that, actually, because, I mean, and even the characters in the story, there's one point where he appears, he gets brought into this this team, and everyone looks at the cap to make a decision, and he can't make it. And then Wasp just goes, okay, fine, we're doing this. And and everyone's kind of like, you know, even Hawkeye's like, what? Like, who? why is Wasp calling the shots? It, it's interesting to see them kind of deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, future versions at the time of Captain Marvel, Genesville, and Songbird, and so they they kind of know of this event that's happened known as the Destiny War. Uh, you have Has Songbird ever actually ever become an Avenger? No. You know, not, not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet, right? Genesville we're waiting for him to come back to life. Yeah, once Genesville comes back to life and they become Avengers together, and then everything's good. Then they have to become a couple too. Well, yeah, well that's obvious. Um, you have, at the time, current versions of Wasp and um, Hank Pym. You have the past version of Hank Pym as Yellow Jacket. Um, a weird past version of Hawkeye from the um, Kree-Skrull War era. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's definitely a love letter to the Avengers and their history. Um, Busick kind of loves Avengers continuity, again, more than anyone has any right to. Um, and this is what, it's a love letter to everything that the Avengers were, were up until that point and could be. Um, it's very classic Avengers in that way. Um, it's ext- as I said, extremely dense. Um, it's it's like Amber. I would say stay away from it. Don't ever go near it. You'll hate it. <laughs> like it's just it's so wordy. It's so um, it's it's a very old school comic in in terms of they show they tell you a lot. They're not always showing you as much as they could. That being said, Carlos Pacheco perhaps doing the best art of his life. Um, yes, I would agree with that. I mean, Pacheco's kind of had a lot of ups and downs in his history as an artist, but this is probably his best-looking book. Um, and it's firmly entrenched in the current continuity of the time that that um, Busick was doing in his Avengers run with uh, George Perez. Um, I just absolutely adore this comic. It's it's as I said, it's one of my it's my second favorite Avengers story, and for good reason. You know, one of the things I think, uh, for all the things he did that he didn't need to do or the things that were unnecessary, one of the things I do appreciate and that really captured my nation was, imagination was the idea of the, the destiny force and what that was. And uh, I think it was Busick's way of justifying the, the, the planet Earth's role in all of this cosmic melodrama that goes on uh, in this universe. Essentially saying that within this, the, the cells, the DNA of human beings exists this seed of ultimate power. And that it's the destiny force, that the destiny of humankind, right, manifest destiny for the human race is to become all-powerful beings that will one day control galaxies. And in order to stop this, certain, you know, uh, Amortis, for example, um, sorry, not, you know, not Amortis, the Timekeepers, right? Mm-hmm. The Timekeepers are, are concerned and, and, and other races are concerned and Amortis is concerned um, about how human beings will impact the future of this, uh, of existence, and so that justifies why aliens are constantly coming here, while there constantly are these threats to Earth, that this idea being that Earth needs to be kept, it needs to be managed, right? That's one of the, what's one of the things that Immortus is doing. He's trying to, like, prune the tree, so to speak, to keep human beings contained to the planet Earth for as long as they possibly can be. Um, 
what you know, and, and all of a sudden, maximum security and everything that comes later on, and everything that's that's been. Why is people ask the question? Why is Earth always the center of everything? Why does it have to be about Earthlings? That's the reason why. It's because we have the destiny force, and we are very important for the for, for the universe. So I appreciated that. No, for sure. And it's interesting. Also, this is um, Busick's first real crack at developing Kang as a character, which would come major uh, into in play in a big way when he did his uh, his Kang War. Um, which was a huge thing for actually showing... Yes, way too long. <laughs> it was too long, but the idea of it was interesting that to show Kang is is a military strategist. We've always heard about it, but we never really get to see it because he comes off as just being kind of a hokey supervillain. So after this, after all the development of his character in this arc... In, uh, what is that, the, uh, issue 9 or issue 10? Of what? The the Kang, there's the Kang story where it's, it's just Kang. Isn't it like... I think it's I think it's chapter eight or nine. Okay. Yeah, there's a like, but like after that we get. I think it's. I may be wrong. It might be ten. Um, no, no, I think you're right. I think it is earlier. I think it's eight or nine. Anyways, going on from here, when you eventually have the very prolonged Kang War, you finally get to see him acting as a military strategist and genius. Um, and obviously Busick has a lot of love for classic Avengers characters he developed a lot of his own characters throughout his run but it was nice to see him kind of touching the old standbys yeah uh, Paul who's your, what's your, your favorite Avengers story <laughs> well I know it's the number one but you gotta give me this one okay I gotta give you this you gotta, one you gotta let, let me have this one cause you're probably gonna oh, you, we can't do that but you gotta give me this one um or maybe it's well. I'm here story. One of my favorite things all time about Avengers is I'm just I'm gonna say the movie, the movie, the movie, absolutely the movie. Is he doing this? I'm doing this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, let me have this. Um, I absolutely adored the movie, and it gives me a whole different level of appreciation for the franchise that is the Avengers. I yeah. You know, I went for a person who didn't give a flying fadu about them to someone who. Now has a great interest in all of these characters. They did a fantastic build-up. They worked very hard on it. They assembled a great cast and crew in Whedon We Trust. And they put together a fantastic movie that I walked out of the theater going, oh my god, that was like the best superhero movie I had seen to date. Um, the story worked well and it felt like I was watching a comic book live on that screen. It had every bit of feel to it I needed to have. And it was incredibly enjoyable and, and worth it. And now... I'm forever an Avengers fan as much as I am an X-Men fan out of it. Hmm. So I know it's not a comic book story per se, but based on my very limited range of, you know, enjoyment and story content to work with, I'm going to go with the movie. Interesting. Whedon wrote it, so I feel it's acceptable. <laughs> Thank you. Everything Whedon writes is acceptable on all fronts, always. <laughs> Except for maybe Runaways. That wasn't very good. Mm. What? Except for his run, run on Runaways, it wasn't very good. All of Runaways was great. There was no bad Runaways. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's necessarily true. <laughs> okay, let's ask Mr. Red She-Hulk what's, what's the best part out of the comments. Runaways is all an eight. <laughs> you know, it can't always come back to Red She-Hulk every oh, time. Yes. When Paul so calls on a podcast, you have to. He was so angry. <laughs> Yes. I can't believe I was made to read that. That's why, like, I I will never get that time back. <laughs> no. I think Paul. I think the quote from Paul was the biggest piece of garbage I have ever had to read. As yes. opposed to not with all the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Complete and utter garbage. It, it, just, it, it causes Adam to lose credibility. So whenever he wants to make a statement, now I agree with Adam. I mean, obviously there are varying degrees of quality within Runaways. Now, I haven't read them all, but like just like, but statistically there are varying degrees of quality in everything. But I just I have to bust his his chops about that. And I think the Wait. Avengers movie is like I thought about it too, and I'm like, ah, it's not a comic, but it is a very good Avengers story, and I think it characterizes them all really well, and it shows them like as a team very well and like even the talking heads moments when they're just like standing around Loki's staff I think that worked out great and it was it was a great Avengers story it's better than many Avengers comics it is than many many Avengers comics yeah which you can't say about any of the X-Men movies no (laughs) well yeah I don't know alright Amber um my last one I am I'm I'm doing it because I I wasn't censored pre uh pre-podcast so my my last Avengers story, it is one of my favorite ones, is Son of M. Interesting, um, okay. Yeah, because Quicksilver's an Avenger. And Absolutely, really, and, so, and so is Crystal. And Crystal is, and like really where else... And Black Bolt's a new Avenger. Where else would this fit, right? Like what other team of... of, of no, and this is, this is complete fa- direct fallout from House of M, which is also an Avenger story. Yeah, and an X-Men story, but, but he's more an Avenger. So this is uh, David Hine with uh, Roy Allen Martinez on the pencils. And first off, the art in this book is great. Like, if you're not familiar with it, I know you guys are, but I don't know if everyone listening is, because sometimes I say the son of Ben, are people like, what now? I don't know where this artist is now, but he's still good. I wish that I could read more, yeah. Paul has no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay, so Son of M is a storyline that basically what happened to uh, Pietro, um, what happened to Quicksilver after House of M. So he was depowered by the No More Mutants, and he becomes suicidal, and he's, like, chatting with Spider-Man on the roof, and he tries, he jumps off, he tries to kill himself, because he doesn't know what the point of living is anymore, like, his father doesn't like him, his sister's gone, like, he's depowered, so he tries to commit suicide, and, uh, Crystal comes and rescues him, because she's, like, they're inhuman, and they can, like, basically his, his Oh, his ex-wife yeah. does not want him to die. She responded to, she's still his wife at this point, they're never divorced. Well, they're separated. Yeah. But, um, so she comes to save him after he tries to commit suicide, and they take him back to, um, Adelan on the blue area of the moon, and he basically appeals to the Inhumans to get the Terrigen Mists to restore his mutant powers. And they say no, because basically the human gene pool isn't designed to take the Terrigen Mists, it screws them up. And he's like, well, I'm not human, I'm a mutant, and they're like, but you're a human mutant, you're not a, uh, an inhuman, you're not a... I guess a celestial mutant. No, they're just ex- they're just humans experimented on by the Kree. Yeah, but they're they basically tell him you can't have them because you're a human mutant, and then they tell him his daughter that he had with Crystal can't have them because he's like she's half human, so he steals them and he undergoes terrigenesis himself. And rather than getting like the ability to run real fast, he gets time travel powers because it it has like the same net effect that he can he can be places faster. It looks than like he's going fast. Yeah, it looks he's, like he's, he's going not, faster yeah. than he once ever yeah. was before, but really he's just time traveling and time jumping back and forth. And he abducts his daughter and he exposes her and to And he goes Jesus. crazy. And he's like insane. Yeah. And like old Quicksilver shows up and he's all like naffed up and It's like, yeah, it's him and, talking to different versions of himself yeah. from and different like, times. And his daughter gets addicted to the Terrigen Mist, so she's like always huffing them and like when she can't get them, she's like, oh, I feel sick. I need to get back to the mists. And and it's just like so it's very creative it's it's really creative and it's really creepy and there's like good lockjaw action and I love lockjaw whenever he shows up and then <laughs> like he's cool and I, I, I want to know if like lockjaw was like an inhuman dog that it was exposed to the mist 
or if he was like a person and he went into the mist and became a dog because that's like a lot of pathos for that character because he's not he's like he's like a smart dog now but not nearly as smart as a person so I find that that's, that's like an interesting situation just lockjaw generally but Pietro becomes like this monstrous figure and he does like he's going around trying to save mutants who have lost their powers so he's like trying to restore their powers to them so like he finds Callisto and he has her help them but then her powers get too strong and her senses are too heightened and she can't do anything and like Freak Show gets trapped as like a monster and he just it's just this whole creepy fallout from House of M with this really like horror style art and this very haunting storyline and this this drug addiction metaphor and it's it's cool it's a great story no it is a great story i I agree yeah and i i forget about it sometimes like i forget that it exists and then i'm like walking by the bookshelf and i'm like yeah son of them that story's amazing so because like what what has quicksilver been doing since he's an x-factor yeah like he's an x-factor but no he's not not interesting now like, his, his Terragenesis abilities at the end of this are suggesting that even without the mists and without the crystals he stole, he can still go and, like, restore mutant abilities to mutants who have lost them. But now that, like, mutants are popping up again and X-genes are reactivating, it seems not as important, but they don't really... They never explore again what he did or where his powers come from or what he what happened to him anymore, uh, they, and I think that's No, day. actually, they did. They did. There's a series of stories that he did show up in, and then he was also in the, the earlier version of X Factor that Peter David was writing. Like he was affecting people there, and then eventually he, they just kind of gave him his powers back, and they didn't really explain yeah. how that was well, done. I guess that's Amber's point. It's not they've not done a good job being very clear with his character arc, with his path since then. Mm. He's yeah. just kind of shown up places because he had this awesome mini series, and then it's just like, well, he's still out there. He yeah. does some things sometimes, yeah. but it was it's the same problem I have with, like, extremists with Iron Man, that, like, Iron Man was powered up to, like, Superman level, and then they're like, ah, that's too much. We're just going to make it go away. Yeah, Ellis did this really cool thing, and then Bendis said, oh, Secret Evasion, we can't have a super, super powerful, all-knowing Iron Man, because then the evasion can't happen, so let's get rid of Iron Man. Yeah. yeah. So I think they kind of, like, they wrote this really cool story, and I love it as a standalone, but I think it's a shame that they sort of nerfed him after this. Because he could have been like a great villain, like one yeah. of those. He could have, I think, stood with Magneto as like a villain, who, or in place of Magneto. Yeah, in place Magneto of Magneto. Then, yeah. Because yeah, Magneto's in this depowered, and he also has a really great story. Like, basically trying like he failed Wanda in House of M. Now he's sort of like trying to control his son, who he also failed to raise properly. But you have you have Pietro yeah. coming up as this villain who thinks he's doing the right thing, but is doing it in the very wrong way. I think what, what it speaks to the, the power of the story or the quality of the story is that it's not conditional. It's, it sits, situates very well in between House of M and Decimation, but it is not, it's not dependent on those. Yeah. You can still enjoy this without that, that context. Yeah. All you need to know is that he lost his powers. Which they tell you at the beginning. Yeah. All right, that's, Nate. That's my, my number one. Thank you, Amber. Uh, okay. So again, this is I'm not. It's not number one. I'm just doing a new chronological. Um, so the one I have, the most recent one I have is uh, Avengers Origins: Ant Man and the Wasp. This is by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. I have a hard time with his name every time I say it. And then Stephanie Hans. And um, 
this is a part of a series of, of Avengers Origins stories they did with uh, Vision and Thor and, and, and so forth. But this is my favorite of the group. The art, Stephanie's art is really good. She does a fantastic job. Um, she's a good storyteller. I like how Roberto d- breaks the story down into the old school way of telling stories back in the uh, in the 60s. They used to do chapters. Hmm. They used to like even though you had 22 pages, they would everything would have like every two pages to be a chapter. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, absolutely. It's very old school. Yes, it is very old school, but the in terms of the way it's format, but the storytelling is very modern. But the but the fashion is almost 60s, but the dialogue is not. But it's not really 60s fashion because when you see it, you're like, that's not that could be now. So he the two of them. Are, Roberto and Stephanie do a fantastic job blending the old of the new, and and the best part of the story, of course, is that it actually has heart. Uh, it's the meeting of these two characters. It's uh, Pim, who um, uh, is you know he's already been married. He lost his wife, and now he's coming across Janet, and Janet wants to try to kind of uh, she's hitting on him. She, yeah, she wants to get through to, to, to uh, Doctor Pim, and he's kind of deflecting that. He's obsessed with this work, and she's trying to get through that armor he's created around himself and a lot of references to, to insects that insects are actually social creatures they should be social but uh him is being created uh, sorry uh, compared to an ant or, or an insect but he's doing it the wrong way he's trying to go it solo and that when insects do that they'll get squished and so you have to go together and do it together that there's loneliness uh that these two characters have that she, she loses her dad and he's lost his wife and so they're both very lonely and they find solace in each other um, and so by the end of the story, he's become Ant-Man, she's become the Wasp, she's avenged her father, he's found someone, a new, a new partner in his life, and talks about the, that emptiness, that loneliness can be, you know, uh, filled with each other, with themselves, and that these two insects, because she's, at the end, she's wearing her Wasp outfit, and he's, of course, wearing his Ant-Man duds, uh, that even, you know, the, these, these creatures, these, these insects can be happy together, that they can stop crying if they're together. Which is, you know, lots of sass in here, but also a lot of um, heart. Um, and there, again, uh, Stefan draws the crap out of this. There's a great scene where he's really pushing away, and he doesn't really want to talk to her about being in a relationship. And she reaches across the table, and there's these great panels of her looking. And the earnestness on Janet's face is just palpable. Uh, and she's just, you know, Hank, let me in. You know, I really want to be there for you. And he just kind of goes, look, I... I can't, you know, I, 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 it's very emotional, very well told. Roberto, um, didn't he write for Sex and the City? He wrote so. for Glee at some point. And, and Glee as well, yeah. He's he's transitioned across different media, and he is known, I guess, from some of the stories that he's done for being a very character-centric uh, writer. He also wrote um, Marvel Divas, uh, one of Amber's favorite stories. So yeah. he's, he's very good with... Uh, writing female characters and writing about relationships and so this is a great story I highly recommend it I find this story to be really sad because it's like whenever I watch anything that is like an immediate pre-war story that like you know this ends badly so it's this really sweet meeting and like the development of the relationship but you know it ends badly and that's why I like reading it I can't I can't enjoy it because it's not gonna last forever I'm I'm not one of those people that has those that mentality of nothing lasts forever, so enjoy it while it lasts, because I'm like, no. If they're really in love, they'd be in love forever. So you're telling me you will not read Gambit Rogue storylines? Gambit and Rogue are, are still going to be together. They're that not, story's not over yet. Not, well, neither are Jenner and Hank. Like, they could still be together. No, once he hit her, it's over. <laughs> well, first of all... I, it's like, I can't respect 
this isn't the ultimate version. This isn't the ultimate version where he was abusing her. This was him gone crazy and driven nuts by chemicals, and then he struck her once. So this isn't like the same abusive relationship, and they can still totally be together. And Gambit and Rogue have beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, but it was hot. He has like he's like thrown cards and blown her to pieces. Like they they've had abusive relationships. And of course, there's as Paul's favorite, the sex cabin from Extreme Men. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, whose favorite isn't that though? It's a sex cabin. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Anyway, um, this, you know, Amber, Amber brought up a Pietro Crystal story and kind of said, like, this is an Avengers story, and you know what? Where else could it go on what other list? And I felt the same way about this. This is, an, uh, first of all, it's an Avengers origin story, so there you go. But, I mean, it's also, how many stories do I care about about Wasp and Ant-Man? And, and, like, none. This one I do. It's cool. And it has, it has like, Eggman in it. Sorry, Egghead in it. And no one cares about Egghead, but he's, he's the villain of this, and it works. Yeah, no one usually cares about Egghead at all. Yeah, he's a he's a bygone villain. People forget that he uh, had his own Masters of Evil at one point. Yeah, it was a low point so of the Masters, Masters of Evil history, though. Yeah, what, yeah for sure. Speaking of uh, the Masters of Evil, um, my number one pick for my favorite Avengers storyline is uh, uh, Avengers Under Siege. Which okay. is kind of not a surprise. Um, this is a very classic storyline by Roger Stern and artwork by John Buscema. Uh, it's, now, were you turned on to this because of Thunderbolts, or were you had you read this before that? Uh, you know, I I I feel like I knew of this before Thunderbolts, but then I don't think I actually read it till after Thunderbolts. Okay. Um, Same thing with me. I, I I don't think I think I heard about it first in Thunderbolts. So I mean, this is I mean it's it's usually up on a lot of um, of other kind of sites that usually put up lists for uh, favorite Avengers storylines. This routinely kind of gets in the top ten for most people. Um, it's uh, a very classic storyline where you have Baron Zemo, uh, I guess the second Helmet Zemo. Well, not technically the second, but uh, the second one in comics as a villain, uh, Baron Helmet Zemo puts together the at the time the fiercest, largest. Uh, Masters of Evil squad that they'd ever seen and he basically his plan is he's going to take the mansion and he's going to take the Avengers and he's going to defeat them um, and to this end they like they beat Hercules into a coma um, they abduct Jarvis while they're in the, the mansion and they beat him to a pulp in front of Captain America um, they take Captain America and a bunch of the other uh, Avengers hostage um, it's it's kind of a it's definitely a, a violent storyline considering it's it's a mid '80s storyline. Um, again, a lot of the characters here from the Masters of Evil would end up becoming part of the Thunderbolts in uh, 1996, I guess. Um, so it's kind of a, a nice origin story, kind of for who those characters would end up being. Um, it's a, a really strong story. Um, it's well known for some of the quieter character moments that happen at the end. Uh, that Captain America loses a lot of his personal effects in this storyline, including the only picture of his mother. Um, and at, at the end, there's a, a very classic panel where you know he was able to kind of take everything while he was in the in the heat of battle. Um, he's able to kind of watch all this horrendous stuff happen, able to watch Jarvis get beaten. But when when it's quiet, when it's a quieter moment, and he finds his personal effects and everything's trashed and destroyed, that's when he actually break down breaks down and. Um, kind of lets himself finally have that more human moment 
and uh, of kind of despair and depression. And it's it's very interesting to actually see that moment for Captain America because that's not a side of him we usually see. But um, yeah, it's it's always been one of my favorite Avengers story. It's extremely well done. Hmm. Have you read this, uh, okay. Nate? I saw that one coming. So what? So have you actually read this? Um, I borrowed yours. Okay. And I I read parts I read parts of it because I I don't know I just wanted to become familiar with the story. I don't didn't have a lot of interest in reading all about all of it, but. Uh, I read through parts of it, and uh, mostly for historical just context and for wanting to understand more of the references made in Thunderbolts. But um, I don't know; it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same impact on me that it has on you. But it is it is very important in the history of the Avengers, and it's you know one of those few moments where the villains really their their actions matter, right? So often we're used to seeing villains just casually threaten the world, but to actually take the fight to the the heroes and you know you hear that criticism too right if they have an imagine they have avengers mansion it's not hidden it's a big a on the, the gates yeah they just why don't they just all attack they do right it's logical yeah i know right? for but, sure uh, it, it was nice to actually see the villains kind of say okay we know where they are let's go get them um yeah that's the purpose of the back cave the purpose of the back cave is so that doesn't happen now of course they always come back cave anyway they always show up one way or the other but, but the point of being a, a secret is that they can't do this to you so yeah it was pretty brutal yeah, especially now, they did Jarvis. Oh yeah, especially now it's interesting to read now, obviously because it is a product of a different era. Like you'll see Avengers like Doctor Druid show up. Um, yeah, you know, like he's not exactly on their even C list, um, and and even some of the villains like it's not not all of them are are the A list uh, villains here. Uh, there's actually quite a bit of B and C list. Or characters who didn't really matter at the time, like the Fixer. No one really cared about him until he was a Thunderbolt. I mean, I think that was his yep. most interesting version. Absolutely. I agree. Um, and, and this is probably... I mean, this was the, the big Baron, Baron Zemo storyline. Like, the original Baron Zemo had died in like, 1964 or 5. Like, he was out of the books forever. And then we had one or two appearances... And he's of X. Yeah, he's of X, yeah. So his son had only made a few appearances, but this is where his son really, like became the true next Baron Zemo. Although at the end of this storyline, he he looks like he's dead. So I'm glad they didn't go with that. I'm glad he ended up surviving. Because, I mean, he became one of my favorite characters of the late 90s, early 2000s. I thought everything they did with him in Thunderbolts was just masterful, making him into such a yeah. complex character who... Ha ha ha, pun, masterful. Yeah, I guess so. He was still a villain, but not... Not not the way he used to be, and in yeah, fact, it's far more nuanced. And yeah, during Civil War, he actually would at the at the time he had um, two moonstones, so he was able to go through time. So he actually went back to Avengers under siege, was able to uh, rescue Captain America's personal effects, and actually give them back to him as a way of kind of atoning him and uh, making his amends with Captain America, which kind of showed at that point, I mean, he was still driven by ego, but he wasn't as malicious as he had been in the past, and he actually made those amends with Captain America. Maybe Captain America would have felt better about it if he traveled back in time and, like, saved Bucky or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Bucky got better for dying, though. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it all worked out. Maybe he just traveled the time and bring Cap's mom to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's your mom. She's going to have a heart attack in a few seconds when she realizes what year it is, but here she is. Absolutely. Um, any final thoughts now that we've gone through our our five t- kind of top Avengers storylines? 
surprised we didn't do this sooner. Oh. That's my final thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised we hadn't done it sooner, too. Because we did X-Men, and we did, like, Spider-Man, and we're just like, it's like a big thing in the Marvel Universe. We're just leaving out. Not only did we do X Men and Spider Man, Wolverine but the, too. Yeah, and Wolverine. But Wolverine but, too, yeah. But that was Ow. within like the first twenty episodes of the show. <laughs> so that was like a hundred and fifty episodes before, since we've done those. I mean, I guess we did Daredevil and Hulk at some point, but it's been a long time since we've even done a top five at all. Uh, actually, speaking yeah, speaking of how long it's been, this is uh, the first episode that Nate and Paul have done together since. And actually, and Amber, you as well, since episode 100. So, wow. it's, it's nice to get the crew you back together. you these out on your own. <laughs> Pardon me? I said, you've just been turning these out. Yeah, um, yes, I have been. You're um, welcome, listeners. <laughs> and hopefully, um, you know, we'll have you everyone on again before we get up to episode 200, because, I mean, that's still a long ways away. Alrighty, so we've capped in at just under two hours. Um, there's a lot of good Avengers storylines throughout the years, a lot of crappy ones as well, but uh, hopefully our picks for some of our favorites will be helpful for those who kind of want to give the Avengers more of a shot and haven't really maybe read a lot. I mean, if you want to go back to the classic stuff, um, there's some some good stuff in the uh, Silver Age by Roy Thomas and Stan Lee. The more modern age, um, I guess in the last 10 years, most of it has been by Bendis, but there's also a lot of other stuff that we've mentioned as well that has not been Bendis, which is still worth giving a shot, so you should try that. Like Hickman. Yeah, just go get new Marvel Now. I'll get some Hickman stuff and then do that if yeah, you're Mar- curious. Marvel yeah, Marvel Now. Yeah. Marvel Now is pretty great, although as Paul says, uh, Hickman's Avengers hurts his head. Yeah, Hickman hurts my brain. Well, I mean, then you- you welcome to go Remender's Uncanny Avengers. That's a great alternative as well. Yeah, yeah, I read that too. Or standalone books for the big three are also very good. Absolutely. Alrighty. Oh, well, no. Iron Man. But Thor. Yeah. Oh, Thor. Well, oh, thank, yeah. thank you, uh, all three of you, for uh, joining mm-hmm. me for this episode. Um, for uh, If you listen to the show, please um, rate and review us on iTunes. You can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, and you can also like us on Facebook. And uh, we will uh, catch you next time. Thanks, uh, everyone, and uh, till next time. Uh, let's close with Avengers Assemble. 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 Oh, no, I can't believe that.